Hello, dear friends of the show. This is Stefan. This episode, we talked to Graham from Tokyo Police Club. We spoke to him for almost three hours, and we spoke so long that Jake actually had to duck out. So halfway through the episode, Jake's just going to vanish, and all of a sudden, you're stuck with just me and Graham. He will reappear for the final thoughts, and you will be able to see where he ranks Tokyo Police Club's Force Field from 2014 in his top 10. But just to make you aware, just like Thanos snapping his fingers, Jake turns to dust and disappears. This is a sound purchase. A podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings. Episode 15. Tokyo Police Club's 2014 release Force Field It's funny that you would say oh yeah I'm in Brighton which is you know not so far from London but when we do UK tours Brighton is like a whole other stop when you're touring in Canada and the states you're never playing like 15 miles away from another city and it's another city you know you're like yeah, yeah and then yeah. people will They're come like in. Proper sized countries. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm not I'm just a tiny island. They're too big. You know, I I don't know. <laughs> what do I have in common? No, you with need a bit of space, man. We've got a lot yeah. of space. Yeah, when you're the first time we toured through the UK, we were like, wait a minute, we're gonna do seven gigs in the space that it would take us to like to have a day off to drive across the entire, and we wouldn't even leave Ontario. Exactly. Uh, so you know, the van mileage is maybe a little better over there. So, welcome to a very special live episode of a sound purchase. We are also joined by friend of the show, Graham Wright. Graham provides the songs, backing vocals, keyboards, guitars, tambourine for his band, Tokyo Police Club. Did I did I leave anything off there, Graham? I don't think so. I think that's, I mean, God knows when you're in the studio, especially we made Force Field for like four years. So the things that I played yeah. are lost to hit the <laughs> sands of time, I hope. Well, welcome, Graham. It's uh, nice to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. A wonderful way to spend a... a chilly autumn saturday morning well and in the words of our good old friends sctv 10 bucks is 10 bucks right did did our lawyer call you yeah i'm uh you know 10 bucks is 10 bucks <laughs> okay we have lit the beacons everybody we've sent the message out to our loyal followers who have sent in questions for us to ask you graham as we go right. i'll be sprinkling these in throughout the episode but i thought we could start with one listener rob smith from oldwick Asks, if you had to tell us five quick facts about the band, what might those facts be? Five quick facts about the band. That's quite a big quick asks. By all accounts, he's quite a big guy. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep it relatively simple. We're a Canadian band. We're from Toronto Environs. We've been doing it now for our first thing came out in 2006. So 14 years of Tokyo wow. Police Club. We've made, including our EPs, we've made six records, seven records. Feels like seven. Bunch of records. That's three. Bunch of records, yeah, yeah. We played David Letterman three times. That's my favorite Tokyo Police Club fact. That's my braggiest nice. thing. The hat trick. I've seen I've seen one of the clips, yeah. Which one? Uh, I think the one where he called you Toyota. Oh yeah, the, that was the first time. That was so good. <laughs> that was great, man. That made my life basically. Was that was that like an awkward though, an awkward moment? Or was it quite quite nice to have Paul Schaefer stepping in to to correct him? We thought it was great. We were because you, you're sitting in the basement watching on a tiny little CCTV that's like smaller than my computer screen, and obviously right. we we were 
18, maybe 19 at the time. So we're terrified. Okay. It's you've, you haven't slept because you have to show up at this thing at like 6 a.m. basically. Uh, and I think that that happening really punctured the reverent, serious, big deal atmosphere of it all, which was probably really handy for us since we were so scared. And also then yeah. we got so much more FaceTime because they held on the record while they had their whole little chat about what the name actually was. <laughs> and that gave us like free TV time. So I thought it worked out good. Did, uh, did you see David running down the corridors? Uh, we never saw him running down the corridors, but I saw him running out onto the stage once. I must have been back there for some reason. I probably wasn't supposed to be. Okay. Because I don't think I realized. I was like, oh, my God, he must be really late for this one. How unusual. I didn't realize yeah. that was a thing. No, apparently he just likes to keep his fitness up by running backstage. Probably why it's so yeah. friggin' cold in there. That's four quick facts. This is a slow fact, but let's go. Okay. I, I recently was looking on our old Wikipedia revisions because back in like 2007, Dave updated it with a mendacious pitchfork quote that was like very plainly like, it's the best Neo post, blah, 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 blah. Really like goofy <laughs> thing. Yeah. And people in interviews all the time would be like, so how did it feel when pitchfork called you the best Neo post, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like really it believed it, which maybe that's my fifth quick fact is that we easily accidentally pulled one over on every journalist. But I also, you can look can at I, ev- can every... Can I just make some adjustments to my notes? Yeah, you better, yeah. better had. You can <laughs> look at every yeah. every revision anyone's ever made to a Wikipedia page. And at one oh, point, wow, okay. someone had just deleted the entire article and it just said, Tokyo Police Club suck. And I kind of <laughs> oh, I kind of no. wish they just left. That'd be so funny if you went on Wikipedia like, oh, it's Tokyo Police Club. And the whole article was just Tokyo Police Club suck. Like, oh, damn, they must really suck. If yeah. That's what the encyclopedia wow. has to say about it. I, I'm kind of of the opinion that if you can make someone feel that much or feel that much hate, then you're doing something right. I agree. It's been a long time, I think, yeah. since we inspired that much passion in people. You have to yeah. be kind of a hypey band to do that, and uh, we got that out of the way early. Oh, well, yeah. Jake, uh, something that I tell a lot of my students is about you telling me when you were doing homework at the latter end, end of your education you'd mm. make sure that you rush home, get onto Wikipedia, get all the answers, and then change the Wikipedia site. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> that was, I remember, <laughs> Wikipedia must have come out at the tail end of my high school because they said, you know, you can't, you can't use Wikipedia as a source. And so, yeah. but mm. I was the only person who realized that Wikipedia has sources. So you could use oh. Wikipedia as a source, and then in your bibliography, just stick in whatever was at the bottom of the article, and none would ever exactly. be the wiser. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so... There are four members of the band in Tokyo Police Club. Can you tell us who they are, please? Yeah, Dave Monks is our singer and our most UK-adjacent member, because he was actually born in Dublin, which I know isn't the UK, but it's right there. It's close enough. The rest of us are our Canadian boys. There's Josh Hook is our guitar player, Greg Alsop is our drummer, and then me, who we've already talked about. And Josh, the guitarist, and yourself have also splintered off into a side project. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we we have a band called Girl from Material with our friends Jake yeah. and Joe, which is on on mega COVID hiatus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same as our group as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, every the, Tokyo is on regular COVID hiatus because people are still buying stuff on the online store, basically, and we still have yeah. to email about postponing dates. So it feels like a slight hiatus. Whereas the other yeah, bands, yeah. you know, someone will be like, "Hey, what should we do for the next album?" I'm like, "I don't know. Think about it in two years." <laughs> like. What's the point of talking about this right now? We can't do it. No, oh, exactly. Yeah. And is it with the with the other band you have scored a film or written music for a film about a killer rumba? 
Yeah, well, that's sort of the origin of that band. Is I, I made yeah. that movie. That was sort of like an independent isn't even a strong enough term for how independent that production was. You know, this some some friends, some really, really super talented friends who were better than I deserved, but we all got together and made this sort of, you know, 70-minute long, gory, horror, schlock comedy <laughs> thing. It was real. I mean, I was all, I was really on my Edgar Wright shit at that point. One of, okay. one of yeah, England's yeah. finest sons, in my Perfect. opinion. Perfect. Oh, absolutely. So it was like if someone with no experience or talent for filmmaking and no money got together seven of his friends to try and make an Edgar Wright film in his apartment. And then so I needed just like incidental music for that from a rock band. And I just it, none of the music that I could get for free by my friends was like rocking enough. And I was like, well, I, uh, I'd been scoring. I was temp scoring the movie because my friend who was going to score it was too busy to do it in time for like a festival okay. submission, blah, blah, blah. And so I'd spent yeah. eight hours copying Stranger Things riffs on my, in my logic, <laughs> you know, and I was just exhausted. And then I just got a new guitar. Fender sent Tokyo some, some stuff and I had a Telecaster. And I was like, I'm just going to, I needed cool. to put, you know, the washers on like Grolsch bottles and beer bottles the, yeah. with the pop tops. They're, they make really good strap locks. I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, I need. But you can actually buy them. Guitar stores over here sell them for like four pounds a pop. Yeah, well, jo Josh clowned me. We're deep in parentheticals at this point. Uh, Josh clowned me by being like, yeah, well, I just went online and bought like 200 of them for a dollar from like a hardware store. They're literally, they're giving them away. <laughs> but I don't, I don't approve of that. I'm like, when you, because what I, where I come from, the past, when you would find a bar that had Grolsch <laughs> with the washers on, because usually they take them off so you can't close it up and leave. That would oh, be like, oh shit! I gotta get these. I I have to get drunk tonight for the sake of my strap locks, and <laughs> so I have a, a rule where I only will get those things. Honestly, I'll only get them off bottles. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I'd got this Grove, guitar, yeah. and I was like, well, I need washers, so I'll go down there. Was, at that point where I was living, there was a beer store, and in Ontario, it's literally called the beer store. That's where we can get beer. There was a oh, beer store cool. yeah. right across the parking lot from my apartment. And so I bopped over and bought some beers and then just was like, well, I might as well write some songs while I'm at it. And I just like drank six beers and wrote six songs that were just supposed to be like, this sucks in like three hours. And the next morning I was like, these are kind of good. Maybe it's a band now. The rest, as they say, is uh, little known history. Cool. And and where can where can we watch the, the film? Is, uh, is it available? It's, to it's be, nowhere to right now. It's my fault. We submitted it to a bunch of festivals. We did a screening in Toronto. It was quite fun. Yeah. Submitted it to a bunch of festivals and then, you know, it didn't get into any of them. It's, as I said, it's pretty raggedy and also features a great deal of copyright infringement regarding the iRobot Corporation's products. And then, so we're like, oh, well, it didn't get into th anything. Maybe we'll put it up online at some point. And at that point, everyone was just so out of juice from getting it across the finish line, yeah. editing it and the screening. Mm -hmm. And so no one of the sort of three of us that were pushing it, nobody seemed to take up the mantle of being like, all right, we're going to do it. And then it just sort of filtered away into the ether. But my friend who lived with me at the time and who acted in it just asked me yesterday for a link. And I was like, oh, there's not one. So maybe I got to put it up. Uh, yeah, come on. It's definitely. old now. Oh, you know, we did it. Absolutely. It's six years old, which is insane. So I'm a bit embarrassed by it. But I think that's more reason to put it up to, to sort of drive through. Yeah. Oh, yeah definitely. You could at least sure. have a go at trying to get some of that sweet Netflix money as well. I think, I think that shit might have sailed. But you never know. I just, you, you really, know, yeah. we, we did not edit out the logos on the Roomba and it spends a lot of the movie murdering people in graphic detail. <laughs> and I just don't know if that's going to get through the censors. Re reach out to them. Yeah. That could be like a, a P, a, what did we call them? PSAs? About, that's true. It'd be like, like that know. forklift video. 
Exactly. Yeah, German yeah. for good yeah. video. Yeah. I've got a question. Okay. Oh, yeah. Stefan, we've had a question come through on the Facebook Live. I'm, I'm as shocked as you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, I think your mum, actually. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. What's the band's favorite song to play live? Rachel Mapp would like to know. Oh, man. Playing live. <laughs> Let me cast my thoughts back, back, back. This is the in my life since I played my first gig, which would have been like an acoustic coffee house thing in, in our hometown when I was 15. I've never gone this long without playing a gig since then. Mm. More than mm. half my mm. life. So it's uh, people are going to be like, what's your favorite song to play live? And I'm just going to dissolve into hysterics. <laughs> uh, it's Hercules right now, that, which is one of the singles off TPC, our most recent album. Okay. All the new album songs are the most fun to play live because we really, more than anything, we wrote and recorded them straight up. Like, we're the four of us playing in a room. We only know them as performances. There wasn't a lot of thinking in between, which was nice. So they're just, they're easy because they're already drilled into my head. And Hercules has just got that classic little bop that is really natural to play. Like, that's what your arm wants to do. And me and Josh get to, like, go up to each other and play in unison and jump around and hot you know you get to pogo a little bit i love that one and it's got a big old chorus where we all shout so it really has everything wow okay thanks mum. that's that's really cool of you to be here so graham force field came out in 2014 yes i was introduced to the band and the record by a, a different colleague not jake in a coffee shop that i was working in this is where coffee comes back into our story yeah the colleague had a shall we say, distinctive taste in music. And, I mean, Jake, she came to all of our shows, so that tells you oh. what her music taste was like. <laughs> Atrocious. Yeah, but one one tired day, one tired day with a particularly short fuse, I snapped at having to hear American football, or it might have been the front bottoms for about the millionth time that week. And politely, after I snapped at her, she put force field on, thinking that that might actually smooth things over a little bit. <laughs> it quickly became actually one of our agreed albums. We had these little sets of albums that we knew that each other was okay with, so we played it a heck of a lot over that summer. And it just it just kept growing and growing and growing and has come to mean actually quite a bit to me because of all of those times I was at university at the time, you know, quite a formative time. So coffee, that's the answer. Man, that's not to get corny, but that's what you do it for. You know, it's the the Kid A 20th anniversary was yesterday, as I'm sure you saw yeah. on the Internet. And that's that was like my album and Radiohead were my high school band. And a, I saw a bunch of publications who were sort of clickbaitily ranking all the Radiohead songs. And I was like, right. oh, you want to rank the Radiohead songs, eh? I bet I could do a <laughs> way cooler ranking. And so I've been doing it. You know, I it was one of those. I'm whatever. whatever I was trapped in my house. I've been ranking every one of Radiohead's like 154 released songs. Which cool. has been really fun and interesting. I'm almost done. I'm going to publish it. But it's been making me think about like how, what role those songs played in my life and just the moments where it was like, oh, yeah, that was like that record would be on at this thing. And while that thing was happening, yeah. I was in love with that girl or I was starting a band or I was learning guitar or whatever. And the idea, that's when I really understand that we're like a band. Where it's like, oh, yeah, that's like our album, which to me is like force field. I don't know. We, it was like hard to make and took a long time. And I, you know, I was like, why didn't people like it more? That record rules. But then to be like, oh, yeah, but it was one summer that was an album that two people who couldn't agree on much agreed on at a coffee shop while their life was happening. It's like, oh, my God, that's, that's it. Cool, we yeah. did it. We're a band. Yeah, I mean, man. that's yeah. There was a song 
that didn't make the record that was really, really good called um, uh, either Spellbound Hellgazer or Hellbound Spellgazer, depending on the day. And it had a okay. lyric at the end where he said, that's, that's what I do it for. And I always loved that lyric. It hit it this, like, this really nice emotional chord change moment. And even yeah. though it didn't make the record and never came out, I still, when I hear stories like that, I get that song popped in the back of my head. There you go. I'm, I'm soundtracking this interview with a force field outtake that no one else can hear. That's awesome. Uh, well, we, I've got another question then. This is from James Mogany in Sydney, Australia. Oh, hell yeah. He asks, I'm interested to know about your gear. Can you tell us about what you're using? I mean, for me, your keyboard setup looks really immense almost kind of as impressive as Tony Banks from Genesis. It's really gotten pared down over the last couple of years, but when Force Field was happening, Force Field was a really uh, monumental keyboard moment because it's when we finally realized that you don't have to use like the world's most beautiful 1970s analog synth yeah. when you're like putting a pad in the background of a chorus. We did, so I'm going to answer every one of these questions with a tangent because I just drank two cups of coffee. Okay, go for it, man. Yeah, yeah. Go for it, man. When we were recording Champ in Los Angeles, at one point we're like, oh boy, I wish we had this kind of keyboard. And our producer was like, we well, can get that. Here you go. And he just gave us a binder this thick that was a rental company. And in the binder was oh. just every kind of keyboard. And when I, you're like, if you're a teenage Radiohead fan, you spend a lot of time on the internet looking at old keyboards. And all of a sudden oh, yeah. they were like, you just have to say the name of one of these keyboards to a studio assistant. And an hour later, someone will come to the door of the studio with that keyboard. And we were like, is this like a magic spell? In retrospect, we were just spending our record budget, but we weren't really paying attention to that. And so yeah, every yeah. day we'd be like, bring in a Profit 5, bring in a Mini Moog, bring in this, bring in that. And eventually, and then we'd spend two hours gathered around twiddling knobs. That's, I really learned, despite being a professional keyboard by, on my third album at that point, Yeah, that was when I learned how to do like ADSR keyboard sound sculpting i never learned it before and then eventually after five or six days rob schnaff who produced champ was like guys every time we bring in a keyboard you spend three hours and then you get the exact same sound on every keyboard we don't have to keep doing this <laughs> and when we went to tour champ i got like a new nord wave which is a great synth it's like it was mm. it was like the air to the lead but you could do sampling on it they don't make them anymore they only made them for a couple of years and I think it's maybe long, that was long enough ago now, the 10-year statute of limitations has expired. We had the same manager at Passion Pit at that point. And Tokyo Police Club didn't rate getting a, a discount from Nord, but Passion Pit did. So Tokyo Police Club toured for years with Ian's Studio Nord. And that was how I got oh. my Nord, which got shipped to Toronto instead of New York where he lived. But anyway, I used that and I dialed in the sound that's on all the Champ songs and I called it Schnaff after Rob, to, to commemorate oh. his calling us out. And then when it came time to record Force Field, we were like, why don't we just use that? Like, we don't need a bunch of fancy keyboards. We don't have any money this time. So let's just use... And sure enough, it sounds great. So that's the main keyboard yeah, on that yeah. record. And then I also had a Cork Poly 6, which was, I, in my opinion, still like the, my favorite poly synth ever made. And we wrote a ton of uh, Force Field using the Poly 6. And it's still on there. At the end of Argentina Part 1... There's a bunch of arpeggios that start mm -hmm. bubbling up mm -hmm. and around. And that was like my most classic. We, we had our rehearsal space set up for recording in. And I was like, guys, this song needs a bunch of key uh, arpeggios at the end. And they were like, nobody cares about this, Graham. Go home. And so one day before we were set to rehearse, I went in two hours early and plugged into the computer and just created this whole arpeggio forest. And that made it all the way through to the record. We just bounced that out, which was good because Korg Poly 6 is the memory banks were built with crappy batteries and the acid leaks. Oh. 
And if the acid leaks too much, it gets into the rest of the synth. And so I took oh, it nice. in to get repaired. And the guy called me back and basically was like, I have to give your synth a terminal diagnosis. Like, it still, it, I can fix it and it will work. But the, like, the cancer has spread and it will just break again at any point. And it could be 10 years. It could be one day. And he's like, I don't really feel good about taking your money to fix this when the keyboard is just not going to work ever again. Really? And so I still, I put it, and I loved it so much, that keyboard's so beautiful. I put it in its case and put it in our storage space, and I've never taken it out. So I still think, like, oh, I, have, I have still have one more golden day to spend with my Poly 6 before it dies. And I want to record it dying. I have this whole idea about, like, getting a disintegration loop-style vibe, plugging it in and playing it till it dies. But what will actually happen is I'll turn it on, it just won't make sound. And 10 years later, I'll be like, that was a waste of time. That's kind of like the plot to uh, Disney's Onward. You know, bringing back the father. You just want to bring back your synth for one more day. Yeah, exactly. But I never yeah. used it on the record other than that one vestigial arpeggio forest. Well, we'll definitely be bringing that up later on. Yeah, absolutely. There's Nord. There's like a Dave had a Moog Little Fatty that we used here and there. He was really into that. And I think there's some OP1. Dave was like an early buyer of that little teenage engineering OP1 synth. Oh, okay. And yeah, I think yeah. that wound up on it here and there. Because I remember it was a pain in the ass to play because it has like a little toy keyboard instead of a real one. Okay. But now, yeah, yeah. so all of that, and for years I was touring with a double stack keyboard rig and, you know, yeah. being, being Rick Wakeman or whatever. <laughs> and then when it came time to do TPC, I was like, I don't, there's not a lick of keyboard on that record, period. Anyway, I, I only play guitar. And we went to tour and I was like, I don't need two keyboards it's so annoying to have to like set up a double stack, carry all this stuff, carry a stand. And I realized that the one keyboard that would be able to do everything I needed was the Alesis Micron, the first synth I ever bought before, like when the band first started and I needed a synth. It was like the $400 equivalent to the microcord, but with a full-size keyboard. Right. And yeah, I, yeah, still, yeah. I still had one. And lo and behold, it does, it can split, now I'm getting nerdy, but I wanted to be able to play two sounds on one keyboard and yeah. only on the Micron can you split the keyboard in half and then you can pan each sound hard left and right and have two different outputs. So I can be playing bass synth that's popping out the left pipe and pad that's popping yeah. out the right pipe and the, the front of house engineer can mix them as separate tracks, but they're all in this one teensy oh. little keyboard that doesn't take up any space in the van. That's so cool. Okay, so Memphis Industries have been a big, big label in my life through mainly the Phoenix Foundation who were from my hometown in New Zealand and Wellington, but they have said force field is perhaps Tokyo police clubs, most direct statement of intent yet musically referencing anything from Tom Petty to the smashing pumpkins. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like that. Tom Petty to the smashing pumpkins are two really great artists. That's what they said about force field. eh? Yeah. That sounds yeah. like, that's funny because that sounds like a way better description of TPC. Uh, that's where <laughs> we really got, got our nineties meets Tom Petty on. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, Band bio bullshit is kind of a genre of description unto itself. Yeah, yeah. This is this is where Pitchfork come back up. David, the singer and bassist, told Pitchfork that Juicebox by The Strokes and Hashpipe by Friends of the Show Weezer were spiritual guides for the record. That's great. I can't believe Pitchfork interviewed us on that record. They weren't even writing about us at that point. Oh, there's there's a lot of mentions across quite a few articles that I've been researching. Yeah, yeah. They, they loom large in the consciousness of sort of mid-2000s yes. in advance, yes. for better or for worse. One final listener question then. The listener is Philip Knight from Wellington, 
New Zealand. He asks, what is your pre-production process like? This album sounds so complete that it must have been quite a heavy pre-progress. Oh, my God. Force Field was easily our heaviest pre-prod process because we kind of just found out what pre-production right. was yeah. making Champ. You know, mm. we didn't know you didn't we didn't know about that. And and we loved it because we're all <laughs> nerds, man. And the idea like, oh, you can work on something and like have a whiteboard <laughs> regarding it. That is right up our alley. <laughs> and so we set up shop. We got like a, you know, rehearsal rooms are hard to come by in a city like Toronto, obviously, because, you know, they want to build condos there instead. But we got there's they have these things that are literally called the rehearsal factory is the company. And it's just a big there are the three big buildings in town that are just, you know, gray cube rooms in which you can pay a premium to rehearse. But we managed to get the one good room that had like windows and a bathroom and a fridge in one of the rehearsal factories. And we wired it all up to record. We mic'd every amp. The drums were all mic'd. So, and we had a template. So you could start playing oh, cool. and just hit record and get everything down. Or, I mean, it was all great in theory. But then, of course, in true Tokyo Police Club fashion, at the last minute, we cheaped oh. out on the computer. So it crashed all the time. <laughs> we lost tons of good stuff. So we would just set up in there. And we were doing it. Like, we would go in at 10 a.m. and work until 7 p.m. every day, Monday to Friday. Like, we would clock in and just work on the, like, outro substructure of Argentina part one would be like a 40 hour wow. work week of us just working on it. And then you go to the computer. We we do it with uh, like, you yeah. know, like superior drummer, fake drums. We do like a fake version to hear how it could all line up. Then we perform that and see how it felt and make those adjustments. And we were working too hard. Honestly, we've one of the things that we really learned from that that we've taken with us going forward is that you actually have a finite amount of useful creative energy yeah. in a day and it's not 10 hours usually. Mm. And so what we realized in retrospect, Dave and I would still laugh about this, is that the first three or four hours of the day would be digging ourselves out of like the insane hole we dug ourselves into the night before. <laughs> then we would do three or four hours of really good work. Then we would spend three more hours chasing some ludicrous idea. And the next morning, we'd have to dig ourselves out of that hole again. And that was just the process. So we were doing yeah. like triple the amount of work we needed to do. And we, we came up with this concept we would always call the, the circle back, which is where we'd always wind up where we started. But after having gone on this long, you know, endless seeming interminable journey of, you know, there there's songs on that record like Beaches, which I believe is track four, that I could dig up demos that are called Beaches and that we thought were Beaches wow. that aren't that song. You know, where we added we added a new chorus to it. And then we added a new, then we're like, oh, that chorus is really good. I have an idea for a pre-chorus and, and a new verse. And let's actually get that riff out of there. And it's like the ship of Theseus where you're like, is this oh, yeah. the same yeah. song anymore? It's just, we've, we've, that we've, it is like we've, it's followed the same continuity and it's all editing and choices made about this song, but it's literally all different music, 100%. And Beaches is the best example. It's the first song wow. we wrote for that record at one point it was like a maroon five meets phoenix song that had nothing to do with what you hear on the record and then six months before we recorded uh, it we're like or we should just go back to the first thing we tried yeah that's it that's the answer and you know it's literally like the way that we performed it in 2012 when we wrote it is how it is on the record but we spent two years doing it every conceivable other way and like we went through that process in a way that kind of solidifies the the songs themselves right that kind of makes them really whole and you've gone through that journey oh yeah it was you do what you have to do and even if later you're like none of that was necessary yeah. it's like well yeah if it, but we did it so it must have been necessary for us to get even if we were 
crazed and we were crazed yeah. you know we'd lost all sense of perspective we because at that point tokyo police club still m- much less so in the uk but in canada and the states there was still this idea that, like right. oh we could be the black keys you know we could be the gaslight anthem we could be a big like a genuinely big band we could yeah. have songs on like american rock radio and you know there was and we had a, you know this the the label in the states that was putting the record out was really into that going that direction uh, and, you know, and that's why we signed with them. We're like, yes, teach mm. us how to be mm. a big mm. band. You guys know the secrets and we don't. And that's true. But also they didn't know what to do with us at that point, And we didn't know. And no one really came out and said, like, I don't think that's the version of this band that's good. And we didn't we wanted it to be thus and they wanted it to be thus. But you get emails, you'd send like a zip of 15 demos and get an email back. that would be like, keep up the good work. Remember, every every hit song is a fairy, uh, like a nursery rhyme. We're like, yeah, that was yeah. eighteen months worth of work. Wow! It's, should we? Is it good? Like, do you guys want us to make the record yet? And we didn't have enough perspective. It's so funny because at the time we said, like, oh, f- all the interviews. I'm sure you found ones where like the force field was what we had to put up between us and all the influence in order to like yeah. make the record we truly wanted to make. But in re- in retrospect, <laughs> we didn't do a good job of that at all. We were so influenced. And the funniest thing about it, the perfect illustration that Dave was the one that pointed this out. Outside Toronto's big radio station is called uh, Edge yep. 102. That's like our alt rock station here. And it's owned by a company called Chorus, which is like a nationwide entertainment yeah. company that owns TV stations, radio stations. And right. they had just at that point built a brand new, beautiful office building that had all the radio studios in it. And through the window of our rehearsal space, the last thing you could <laughs> see on the horizon was that building. And so we're writing this whole record in the shadow, like the eye of Sauron of the rock radio station that was influencing all of our ideas. And like, you know, you hear a song like Hot Tonight. I love that song. And it was really fun to write like, you know, our version of a Kelly Clarkson song. But obviously that song doesn't get written in a world where you're not thinking about how do we be a band that gets on the radio? How do we be a band that's big? And in 2014, that was, you know, those poppy things were really popular. And every band was trying to do that. Mm. We just, you know, every other band oh. did it was since, and we did. But it no, it's, so it's really again, effective. It but and it's a bop. I mean, it's a great. That's the thing that saved us was I think we when we'd come in with that a song like Hot Tonight that was so slick. Once we put it through the filter yeah, of the band, absolutely. we're like, yeah, it's still a cool rock song though. You know, like I think I think every song on that record works, even the weird experiments like that. Well, let's let's take a, a short little break here. We've started introducing a game show segment which allows you to play for some listeners and oh, they yeah. can they can earn merch through you, some sound purchase merch. So it's just 10 quick questions. Ooh. The game is called Over or Under. I will tell All you right. a numerical fact about Tokyo. It's a bit derivative. And you will need to determine if my number is too low or too high. Oh, I love this. We're going to learn something about my self-perception here, I think. If the answer is too high... You will hear this sound. If the price is too low, you will hear this sound. Jake, you're going to be playing for Darren O'Brien. Darren comes from Toronto, which is cool. Come come over here and play me yourself, Darren. Coward. Graham, you will be playing for Sean Morley from Oakville, which I believe is also around toronto it is oakville ontario is in, in okay. the gta cool. the greater toronto area all right so question one vending machines are everywhere in tokyo it is estimated that nine percent of japan's power goes towards 
powering vending machines. Is that answer, is that number too high or too low? That's got to be too high. I agree. I agree. I'm t- I- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can we both yeah, yeah. take the under? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay great. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the under. So the correct answer is actually 3%. Question number two. Tokyo's Ritz-Carlton is home to one of the most expensive suites in the world. The room, designed by Frank Nicholson, costs 10,000 USD per night. Is that too low or too high? I'll take the over. I, I bet you I bet you it's you can go crazy with hotel stuff. It sounds like it's expensive yeah. to be expensive, you know. I, I think ten I mean ten thousand dollars a lot is a night is a lot, but I feel like there'll be hotels that that'll be like that'll charge way more than that. Okay, the correct answer is eighteen thousand. Yeah, well done. You guys you guys are too good at this. Never underestimate the insanity of rich people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a good guide uh, for life. Number three, Japan consists of over 5,000 islands. I think that's too high. How how big does a bit of land have to be to be classed as an island? I think if it has like a tree, I think like a rock in the middle of a lake that has a tree on it counts as an island. Okay. I just saw something right. to that effect on Instagram yesterday. There's like there's like a, a moment where a, a thing goes from being a bit of glug in the middle of some water to becoming an actual island, and it doesn't take much. I think a, a, you can have a very sure. small island. I'm pretty sure I saw like a, a Tom Scott thing on this not too long ago about uh, an island in like off the coast of Finland or somewhere that's gradually shrinking, and it is literally just like this okay. three meter by three meter spit of rock. So, and I think that still counts as an island. So I'm going to say it is over five thousand. Okay, the correct answer is 6,800. That's so many islands. There's so many islands, yeah. They should put some of those together. That's hard to keep track of. (laughs) Uh, Question number four. Animated Japanese films and television shows, i.e. anime, account for 40% of the world's animation-based content. That answer's pretty much directed at you, Jake. Ooh, there is a lot of it. Yeah. There's a lot of it. I mean, majority of our childhoods was anime, if we're honest. Okay. Dragon uh, Ball Z, lot, Pokemon. Lot of Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 40% though. I mean, it's quite a lot. But could it be more? I th- I th- I think it could be more. I I think it could be more. I want to say it's more. Okay. Hey, Graham, you saying it's more as well? Yeah, I say it's more. Sixty percent is the correct answer. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Question number five: Japan has a thousand people who are over one hundred years old. Thousand people that are over one hundred years old. I think that's too high. How many? People, what's the population of Japan? It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Isn't it like similar to the UK? I think Tokyo is the largest city in terms of population in the world. They've got 6,000 islands out there. You can put a lot of people on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, nearly 7,000, really, yeah. I mean, like, historically, a lot of the oldest people in the world have been Japanese. Oh, Jake, you're thinking way too hard about these, man. It's what I... Uh, well, he's I'm doing say, good. He's on a roll. <laughs> Pressure's I'm on, buddy. Say, I, think, I think that's too many. I think it's less.
The correct answer is 50,000. What? <laughs> there are 50,000 people over 100 years old in Japan. That's too many 100-year-olds. I, I don't know. know about that. That's wow. That's they could, that's enough of them. They could get them all together and form some sort of gerontocratic army and, you know, <laughs> take us over with pure experience. <laughs> 50,000 yeah. 100-year-olds. What are they I, what are they eating? What's the I want to be 100 years old. How do I get in on that? They they do well. If I remember back to yeah, if I remember back to my time there was a lot of katsu curry. A lot of katsu curry. Yeah. Okay, so question number six. They say you can leave your wallet on the floor at the busiest train station and come back an hour later to still find it there untouched. Japan is said to be one of the safest countries in the world. It has 10 gun-related homicides per year on average. Is that correct? Is that too high, too low? I assume we're using the official figures from the, uh, the police. The, the actual Japanese police, <laughs> the actual Tokyo police club. Because yeah, my yeah. Under, my understanding is that there are some shenanigans in terms of how they classify crimes over there, specifically in order to keep the numbers low. So I'm going to say, Ooh. by their reckoning, that might be too high. Okay, probably IRL. It's too low. Okay, all right. I don't know. I don't want to cast aspersions. <laughs> I don't remember where I heard that. It could it oh, could I'll, be wrong. I'll cast aspersions. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you can I usually, mind. I mean, you can um, usually bet against the police. I suppose. <laughs> I didn't realize there was going to be shenanigans involved. If there's shenanigans, yeah. then I'm... Well, I'm for the purpose of the game, we're not... The shenanigans are, are irrelevant. <laughs> no, no, no. The shenanigans are exactly we're what gonna go and do the, We're going to get the real numbers. And we're going to find yeah. out yeah. who gets the merch. You're going to be knocking on that Jake, door. Jake and Graham's trip to Tokyo. We're going to blow this thing <laughs> wide open, but only for the game. That sounds like the best vacation movie. Okay, Jake. Netflix to sponsor yeah. it. be brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to go low. It's too high. The correct answer is two gun-related homicides per year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure it is. Question seven. Around two billion pairs of chopsticks are used in Japan each year. Two billion. Ah, that's too low. Yeah, it's too low. The correct answer is 24 billion. That's too well many done. chopsticks. <laughs> That's, too- <laughs> That's way too many chopsticks. Yeah. They, I just got, I was sick of wasting delivery chopsticks, and I just bought two sets of chopsticks that you can wash in the sink. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that'll, that'll last me for the rest of my life. You don't need 24 billion chopsticks. That's 12 billion pairs. Yeah. Question eight. 300 kids were rushed to hospitals in Japan in 1997 after an intense Pokemon episode that caused dizziness, Vomiting and seizures. 300 kids. Is that too high, too low? Oh, the Porygon episode. Was that what um, it was? <laughs> is yeah, this, it was is that the origin? I remember being a kid and people being like, be careful watching anime because it will give you seizures. And like the Simpsons did a joke about it. Is that the origin of the uh, it might Japanese be. seizure might cartoon be, thing? Yeah. I think be. it's too low. There's just too many, there's too many people there. Nothing happens in numbers of 300 except gun murders. <laughs> Everything else is like they have 50,000 100 year olds. There's no way only 300 kids got seizures. That's too low. Okay, Jake? No, I reckon that's too low as well. The 
correct answer was 685. That's reasonable still, though. That's not yeah. th- that's that basically that's is a rounding error to zero in terms of their population. Yeah. Okay, question number nine. I told you that coffee was going to be a huge part of what we do. Coffee is so popular in Japan that Japan imports approximately 60% of Jamaica's annual coffee production. 60%. Too high, too low? I bet it's close one way or the other. Are they big on coffee in Japan? I don't Oh, they're huge on coffee um, in Japan. Uh, was it Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones does um, does a coffee advert? All the fancy equipment. A lot. Oh, of Hario, exactly. The Hario pour over, which yeah, is like yeah. the pour over. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're massive, but I don't know if Jamaica is actually that popular in terms of a bean growing country. Yeah, that's funny. Of of all the countries, although maybe yeah. that's why. Maybe Japan is like a, a stronghold spot. I'm. <laughs> I, I don't feel super sure about this. I'm going to say it's too high, but only by like a few percent. Okay. I bet it's like Wait, so, 56 uh, or something. Okay. Wait, so we're saying that they're saying 60% of Jamaica's, Jamaica's stuff is exported yeah. to them. I mean, if they go nuts for it, though, it could be more. Like if that's like the popular trendy thing to have. I'm going to say it's higher. So lovely, she's so high. The correct answer is 85%. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, and the final question, the final question. The world's most expensive tuna was sold for $800,000. I'm assuming that's USD. $800,000, one tuna. I didn't realize you had, like, expensive tuna. I always assumed tuna was just sort of cheap because, you know, it's tuna. They can get Um, so big. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like, there's the Wagyu beef and so on that's, like, mega expensive in Japan. I'm going to use my hotel room rule that never underestimate the wildness of people with money and (laughs) say that that's too low. Because at at that point, it just becomes a status symbol. And you're like, I'm not going to let that that Silicon Mm. Valley billionaire outbid me for the expensive tuna. I want to be the guy who bought the tuna. Exactly. Do you know anything about the tuna? Was it like, did it have edible gold leaf? No, no, that's it. That's all I know. It had been raised by Wagyu cows. It (laughs) flopped up on land by accident and by some freak, it didn't die. And so it was raised in a family. So it was well marbled in the manner of Kobe beef. As the cows were getting massaged, the cows were actually massaging the tuna. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, if that's the case, no, that's too low. So I <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> uh, you can't sell that. That's a that should be a national yeah. park. Correct answer was actually seven hundred and thirty-five thousand. Bargain. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Darren and Sean, what a, what a cheap, shitty tuna. Yeah. Get in touch with us the same way you got in touch with us last time to play. If you would like to have the chance to win some merch then get in touch with us on Instagram and all other social medias or at the new website of asoundpurchase.com. Okay, shall we have a listen to Tokyo Police Club's Force Field?
I'm not overly interested in talking with you necessarily about like the the depth of the lyrics and stuff like that because that's what every interview is going to do, right? Um, and I didn't write them, so I've got no idea. My well, guess, exactly. Your guess is as good as mine on that um, score. <laughs> luckily for you, we've found uh, there's another friend of a show of of our show is called Genius.com, and they look at everybody's lyrics. Mm. Sure, they're they're fantastic. Uh, yeah, basically do our job. They for us. they it's do great. do our job yep. for uh, us. Yeah, we should be paying them royalties, but we'll keep it on the hush hush. So they say part one is about being in love with a girl he can't be with for whatever reason. Perhaps she's already taken. But that is trenchant insight. Yeah. One of the things that really blows me away with this record, especially, is just the sound of the drums. The The drums sound incredible on this track, especially. I so agree. I love they sound so big on this record. And Absolutely. they're not too they just sound like drums. They haven't really got like a sound. You're like, ooh, that's the record the drum they just sound like what drums sound like when they're thundering away. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we spent so long on those drum sounds, so I'm really glad that's Oh good. That was because that was my next yeah. question was like, did you have to do the Bruce Springsteen like six weeks of pre production just on drum sounds? We definitely I mean it's not unusual to spend the first day in the studio just dialing in drum sounds. And yeah. we definitely did that. Mm. I remember Doug Bame, who produced the record, was really into tuning the drums so that like the kick was the one of the scale and the snare was the five and like the floor tom was the five and like we went wow. through and tuned the drums. Not I mean they don't sound like, you know, timbers. No, no, They're no, not like no, no, no. Melody, no, but yet. they are tuned to the tuning of every song on that record. That is really cool. It's one of those things at the time where you're like, was that worth it at yes, all? It was. In a blind taste test, could I ever tell? <laughs> but the idea is, yeah, it'll have that little extra sauce well, somewhere going on. My, my, I mean, my first note there is that the snare is just so punchy and the toms, when, when he's striking the toms, they're just so deep and rich. It's, it's, it, it was worth it. For any, if anyone's listening that's like in a band wondering how to do, where to spend money or studio stuff, any young bands out there, just... The drums are the money. You can yeah. record a guitar in a gas station bathroom. You stick a 57 on an amp, you're done. It and sometimes great. that makes it sound better. Yes. Like yeah, that, yeah. There's no rocket science to it. Just put it, make it sound good and record it. But the drums, like that's, we did Force Field. We would hire like a really nice fancy studio yeah. and do the drums there and then get the hell out of there, stop spending money and go record the rest of the overdubs in like the jankiest, cheapest studio we could find. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter where you record guitars, but yeah. it really, really matters where you record drums and how. Absolutely. Speaking of lyrics, I mean, this is more for the podcast, but the things that stick out for me is the one sunset falls on the sea and one sunset pink on the sea. One sunset falls on the sea. That was the first time that my ears kind of pricked up when I was listening to this for the first time, just thinking, I kind of like that imagery. Just classic imagery. Yeah, well, yeah. And then the dynamics throughout this piece, like you guys in in each subsequent section are dropping the texture, thickening the texture of the song. And it's something I really struggled to kind of get through to the kids at school when they're doing their own songwriting. They, they like mm. to use logic to just copy and paste, copy and paste but they're not ever looking at adding new things to try and hold the attention. It was a lot of work. Like I said, I mean, yeah. we spent so long arranging that song. And it's by the time we got to the studio, talking about pre-production, there's not very much studio thinking on that song. Yeah. It really is like what we were performing by the time we got to it. And just, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just the result of a lot of, carving away at it you just yeah, keep absolutely. on getting the chisel out i mean like you know we can 
make a little more space there, and this next part is going to hit harder if we get out of the way of that. Yeah. And the next next point I had was the with the harmony vocals, which we've talked about. Do you, you drop out in the chorus? Is that right? Yeah. So then that's just an extra like little element that probably that's probably why my my ears pricked up is because all of a sudden I'm I'm used to hearing these harmonies, and then I'm just hearing a double tracked solo vocal, and it really glosses over those lyrics and makes those lyrics pop out because it's it just is that subtle little change. I really like the synth sounds in the kind of in the openings, or is it maybe maybe it's after the chorus? It sounds like there's some like cutoff action happening, and you're playing with like the resonance and the cutoff and so on. Yes, there's a ton, especially in the end buildup yeah. part. There's, I mean, you know, doing filter sweeps is like the funnest thing to do on synths, oh, yeah, and also totally. really hard to pull off in a way that's not a little bit corny. You yeah. know, and I I really resisted it for the first three records we made, basically. <laughs> And then finally, I remember working in Argentina and being like, I finally have a song where I, there's like a, you know, one minute long period where I'm just slowly dialing it in. Yeah. And then you treat, you treat yourself. It's like a little dessert. You add a little resonance. (laughs) So it really goes. Just, just a little sprinkle. And I, you're just giddy. Because you're like, I can't believe I get to do this on a rock record. And that's force field is us just being big as we can and not. You know, it's the idea of like, oh, it's not necessarily cool to do that because it's like it's telling people how to feel. You know, it's not yeah. it's meeting people more than halfway. It's saying like, yeah, this part's building up. Check it out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's part and of and sometimes part that's of it. great. You know, yeah. Well, it's sometimes we need to be we need to have our hands held. You know, sometimes we just we're happy to do it. That's our yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The organ sonority in this little breakdown. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming that it's a kind of organ synth sound. just fantastic your guess is as good as mine i literally don't remember what it is but some just like sine wave live it's just a full-on sine wave with no adornment yeah because again it takes all of those overtones you just go no more yep it's just back to like these the simplest sound on earth basically yeah 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 the, the most natural sonic thing the keyboards build up between the finale of part one which is really really wicked and i, I believe that's where the arpeggios start to happen Yes. Is that right? Yeah. I always make sure to get the backing tracks cranked in my monitors live because those are like that's always I said Hercules is the most fun song to play, but that moment in Argentina is always my favorite part of the show. And well, I would just, say that it just makes the arpeggios me, it, or the, the kind when, of freak and I'm out just afterwards. Because there's a moment where that's the part where I'm uh I'm dialing in right. or it's right before I dial in so the first chord progression of that outro part the outro substructure as we called it on the whiteboard where the first arpeggio comes in i don't start the filter yet i just hit it on the sine wave yeah and so live i do my move i usually like drop to my knees under the keyboard you know (laughs) real like dramatic like cape flaring rock and roll move (laughs) but then i'm right next to the monitor and the arpeggio is blasting in my ear and it makes me cry like one out of four times I just, I think it's so good. I know I did it, so that's a little bit of jerking off, but like everything I ever wanted to do as a musician and everything I ever wanted our band to be is like the moment that that chord hits and you realize the end is starting and it's about to go on this big, giant, long buildup. I'm like, that's it. 
I'm, you know, I could, I didn't want to stop there, but like I could have stopped there. That's, that's everything I need to say to anyone ever. I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Whereas when you do something that's kind of something that you think sounds worthy of like your favorite bands. The first time we stitched those three things together, because obviously, I mean, it's like three different, totally different songs yeah. that we belatedly were like, oh, wait. So a total, Dave gets all the credit for that idea. <laughs> but I remember getting it all done in the studio and finally stitching them together and bouncing out a rough mix. Yeah. And I put it in my headphones and, and left the studio and went for a walk and just listened to it. And I was just like losing, walking down the street that I now live really close to in Toronto. Right. Just walking down it and people are going by and I'm just in my headphones. And I'm like, you all have no idea. <laughs> no one's heard this yet. Yeah. And it's so good. And I was, yeah, I just felt like I was flying. Adding from that, then I think part building in this buildup, we have the guitar assisting with like the vibrato and the whammy bar which is yeah. just that extra layer. But then it's also the the loop of the lyrics is quite unusual because it's like three phrases repeating over a four-bar kind of phrase. And I just find that quite hypnotic and mesmerizing. Then we lead into the massive freakout, and that's that's where all of this is just massively paid off. And I think, you know, I don't know, I listen to a lot of music, but this is one of the most important for me moments on a record because everything has been building to this one moment, and it just all hits its peak at that one time and that's that's really impressive that's what we've all tried to do on all of our records and it, it everything's just come together you know it's really perfect and that's man it's so gratifying to hear you say that <laughs> i agree obviously but that is like <laughs> the the whiteboard work we did on that part yeah and i you know i don't really remember any of it now but i know we were adding and taking away bars and progressions and this and that to to try and get it to do exactly what you say yeah and, that kind of makes it so, you know, it's always nice when you just knock a song out easily and you're like, damn, we're really good. Yeah. But when you work on something with an intent and then yeah. you realize the intent, that's that's also rewarding. No, that's uh, it. Maybe more so because it feels like, oh, all the blood and sweat and tears was worth it. Oh, but it's 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 everything about it. You know, the rapid kind of guitar drone. <laughs> happening up the top the drums are just insane in that like the patterns that he's playing like he i mean i didn't really want to bring up rush too much because i know that that could oh, I, man i just got into rush this year let's go okay <laughs> i just got into rush last year i'll step out yeah. for five nice. minutes <laughs> but like those that drum pattern and the way that he's playing is Neil Peart worthy. That's I'll tell I'll tell him you said so. That's really that yeah. It's everyone. I mean Josh doing his like Josh tremolo thing. Yeah, which you hear on all right all, back to the beginning of the band. You know that's kind of one of his signature moves. Mm. And ditto. You know Greg's doing that part. The drum, the basic drum part in that is the classic sixteen note hi hat. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. Which when we started out was like you know like the music and you you tighten up that hi hat that's like the dance rock beat yeah 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 which Greg really res resisted yeah. doing early on he's like I don't everyone's doing that it's yeah. kind of boring I want to yeah, do more yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. drums and correctly 
but to bring that all to bear at the end of the song, but to have it with the loose hi hat, so it's yeah. not the music; it's you know something else. It washes. Well, and and yeah, everyone, and everyone's doing the, what they do. The rolling off the hi hat and the snare, and it's just the way that yeah, all of the emotion that's coming out in that one moment, and you can. I just I can't listen to it without thinking of you guys like just in completely in the zone. This is a little a little smutty, but it's like the whole song, if if it works successfully, and I think it does, is like edging basically, where you're yeah. like tension, tension. You give you give it so it's so long. You give a little bit of release, but then you pull it back before the full release. Yeah. Yeah. You have a little bit of release, then you pull it back. You have more tension, and then you get tension, and you get the ending. It's like no more tension, and you really ratchet it up, and then you finally give the full release, and that part hits. Well, exactly, and then even even better is that when you watch it with the video and the confetti cannons go off in that moment. I mean. Can it get any more perfect? Yes. Really? <laughs> that was my idea. Oh, wow. I'm so awesome. happy to hear that. Yeah, no, that was... Yeah, me and our friend Jared did that all in, in a big studio up at a college yeah. in Toronto. And there's like two of us in the room messing around and like running behind the cameras, like confetti over here, <laughs> confetti over here, like, now, okay, run around behind the camera, shoot another one off. It's falling down again. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought that was so fun. Yeah. Oh, man, it plays. So then we move into part two, more, more help from Genius.com. The part two seems to suggest that he spent the night with her, but he may regret it. Warp synth sound. We've got some really cool kind of, well, warpy kind of bubbling synths happening in this part. It's all guitars, baby. Really? Part two is synth-free zone. It's all Josh creating these loops. And I think we we cut some of it up. You know, we went in and made that. Yeah. I think we did that in the rehearsal space. I think, you know, we sort of, it was mostly Dave and Josh, but I recall being there. We were like, okay, we need like a, a rhythmic undertone yeah. for this whole middle part. We don't really want drums. So Josh just started doing his sort of miraculous, talk about pedals, you yeah. know, just like cruising the delay. He has loopers and stuff. So he was sending loops. And then we recorded a bunch of loops and chopped those up and built them into loopier loops. Wow. And, you know, created basically, that, that was probably two weeks worth of weird 10-hour day work. But again, there you go. At the end of it, we came out with this, like, carved out sonic forest yeah. of bubbliness, which I, you know, anytime that someone thinks a guitar is a synth or vice versa, you always feel a little proud of yourself. Like, oh, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm Johnny Greenwood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's a part as well where the when the singing enters, the bass also enters at the same time, and it's something like you don't realize that the bass isn't playing until the bass starts playing. Television wakes me up with the sound of a gun. And it just adds that extra oomph. That's something Jake's actually really good at as a bass player because he just never plays when you want him to play, but then all of a sudden does play. Luke from Born Ruffians once told me one of his favorite tricks is holding the bass out just for the first line of a verse. Mm. So if you know if your verse is four lines, you don't bring it in on the third one, you bring it in on the second one. Yeah. And it always like, ooh, it's kind of like this stilted surprise that is, it's such a good trick. I don't think Tokyo's ever done that, but it's all versions. Because it's, you take it out from underneath. There's a song in the first EP called La Pharisee that ends that way, where everything's doing this big ending freak out. And yeah. then for the last two times of the freak out, the bass goes away. 
and it's like the uh, you know when they would they would fly the space shuttle on the back of the big jumbo jet early yeah. on to like test it, yeah. and then the jumbo jet would let it go. And it's like, oh, the bass goes away and the jet has now left and the song just gets to soar under its own power. You take all the weight off it, all the ballast, and it just goes flying. I like that, yeah. That, that kind of... I'm stealing that analogy. Yeah, I know. That's a... that, that kind of happens, though, doesn't it? That kind of happens at the end of, of this song as well. At the end of part three, there's no bass. It's just the guitars and drums. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and he's yeah. doing those booms. He's doing the slides instead. Yeah. Exactly. And you yeah. let it take flight, which... Again, if to pat myself on the back further, or ourselves on the collective back, and not not to get ahead to talk about part three, but That's I okay. think that it's so, and especially once you've got part one and done so much with it, yeah. to have two more parts, yeah, is always kind of like, are people going to be really spent? But I think that it works, and I think the third one gets you all the way back to some kind of, you know, you just want That's a cigarette. It. Like you, you don't even realize really that by the, by the time part three comes around because obviously that's the big riff that's where the energy really comes back in again you kind of don't realize you you've almost forgotten about that massive kind of emotional payoff in the in the first time round. yeah exactly so yeah speaking of the guitar riff absolutely awesome that was another moment listening to it in the coffee shop where my ears just pricked up because it was like, huh? That's not what I was expecting. Yeah, that's so not what I was it's expecting. So having massive. heard the other the other half of the song, it takes you on a little key change journey because Argentina or part one, which I still call Argentina because that was originally Argentina. Yeah. Part one is an E, and then by the time you get to number th- part three, which was originally called See It Clear, it's an A. Oh, okay. And it's it modulates without really modulating. Yeah, it, yeah. Like yeah. it resolves. It's somehow the middle one resolves into it. I don't know. I'm terrible with theory, but it's a uh, good little good little. That's move. nice, though. Yeah, yeah. So the even even the harmonies going on a on a bit of a journey. I love the years in this section as well. Clean, yeah, I could be a fool. Mainly the last one, um, which is right oh, yeah. before the ending. There's just the big. James Hetfield kind of, yeah. Yeah. Really like it. The key sound in the chorus, is there some sort of like tremolo, mono, synthy sort of stuff? Yeah, I, I have in the foggiest idea what it was. <laughs> I mean, I imagine we just put, we probably just put the Moog through some kind of like BST, like, okay. not BST, like, uh, like in the box effect. Yeah, yeah. When you're trying to do, I remember for Frankenstein on Champ, it also has like the tremolo bass. And we spent ages with the knobs on the keyboard or with pedals trying to get it just so. There was a while I would just do it. I was performing it with the volume knob. And then you're like, you know what? We can just, you can just put a plug in on that and put, like, map it exactly to the click. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't want to overthink it. It's like, just do it with the computer. It's fine. Absolutely. Yeah. You just got to know when to use the tools and when, you know, sometimes you want it to be easy and sometimes you want it to be hard. And part of that, I mean, that's, Part of the of job course. of being in the studio is knowing how to apply your artistic instinct yeah. to challenging yourself or smoothing the path for yourself. Yep. So two lyric things to bring up. Firstly, if I was a lighthouse, I would look all over the place. That just brings me so much joy because I think of Stanley from The Office. His like, life goal is he wants to be working and owning a lighthouse. So <laughs> I'd just like to think of him sat at the top of his lighthouse. I re- it tickles me that one but then the the lyric if i was an asshole thank you there for you keeping go. a smile on your face now jake i think you know better than anybody that i can be quite difficult but you've always kept smiling mate so well done 
Well done. Pitchforks say the bubblegum alt glam of hot tonight should be blasting out of Stacy Mom's minivan. That's what a sentence. That's that's a positive though, because they're saying really you guys should be the top of the indie rock charts. Yeah, that is a positive. It sounds like yeah. maybe I yeah. just have a bee in my bonnet about pitchfork. It sounds like it's meant to be a yeah. dig, but it sounds like a bit of a backhand compliment. But but that's honestly that's the yeah. kind the kind someone who would consider that to be a dig. That is a compliment then. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking back on the music of the of the song, I really enjoy the the kind of broken up guitar tones. And again, we've spoken about that. And in fact, just the the general interplay between the guitars is really cool. So you got the two different rhythm parts happening, which is fantastic. I yeah. did I did see a video where you were playing the the Mustang, and you must have bumped one of your switches. Because all of a sudden your sound just cut out completely. Yeah, that's probably and, what happened. Or yeah, yeah. one of the other things. I mean, the number of things yeah. that can go wrong live, as I'm sure you oh, know, is I've been there. I've been there. Somehow We've... it's more than the number of things you have. How yeah. can there be this yeah. many <laughs> problems? I only have three things. Yeah, exactly. I've I've had moments where I've just upright forgot the chords on stage, which Jake will remember. And I had to start the song like four times before I eventually gave the guitar uh, the guitar to the singer <laughs> who wrote the song and then they played it and I just literally stood on stage. Not really knowing what to do. I should have left the stage, to be honest. I should have gone and got a beer, but yeah. You know, you had yeah. your moment of public shame. You made, you made up for your error mm. by being on. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Know, I just had someone standing behind me screaming shame. Yeah, it was Jake actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's some more. There's some more harmony vocals on this song. Are you singing the harmonies as well, or is that just uh, is that just doubling up on the lead? I can't remember on Force Field. I think Dave sang most of the harmonies in that record, but I yeah. did do a few. God, I kind of forgot. That's the difference. Which that's the difference of touring a lot is you talk about like forgetting the chords on stage. Yeah. I forget what I do on stage until I'm on stage. Yeah, it's like I, a muscle now, memory. Like now that you mention it, I do sing harmonies on Hot Tonight, but I didn't remember that and I don't know what they are. <laughs> but if you put me on a stage right now, I would yeah. nail them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it could be as well. I was going to ask this for Argentina, but it's that idea of like there are so many things going on that you can't possibly be playing all of the arpeggios and the guitar parts and so on. So you do have to do a bit of a, a live run through as well. Yeah. We actually, Hot Tonight's a funny one because we dropped a lot of the fancy stuff live. And I think that we, you know, Argentina, we felt like, oh, this song really needs all of the the business. Yeah. But Hot Tonight, maybe because we felt, Hot Tonight was the single, so it bore a lot of weight of expectation. So our relationship with it is obviously a little bit different than everyone else's. And we really needed to come back around to it to be like, hey, like this is a Tokyo Police Club song. It's not a Taylor Swift song. It's not a you know Kelly Clarkson song. No. And I, you know, it even if it was born as a radio single, it's not one now. So it's like, let's do it live, the four of us. No backing tracks, no metronome. Yeah. Let's just like let her rip and see what happens. And that's how we really found our way back around to playing it because we didn't play it for a couple of years. We were so like oh, okay. turned off on it. 
Uh, you know, the backing track had like tambourine on it. It's just like when you're hearing a tambourine playing and no one's playing it, like this sucks. Yeah. Man. It's a bummer. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I just started picking. So in the first verse live now, I do the palm muted electric guitar that's on the record. Yeah. In the second verse, I do the keyboard riff and let Dave's bass sort of take the subdividing mm-hmm. root notes. And it's, it seems to work pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't my favorite track when I first heard it, but... It's now at that point where this is probably the song that is going around in my head the most. Just just the 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 chorus mainly, just continually, relentlessly going yeah. around in my head. Well, it's worse than Baby Shark, it's, you know, it's like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really fun to have a song that, you know, it's been recontextualized by its lack of success as a single. Ironically, you know, like oh, had okay. that song been the smash hit it was designed to be, People never would have given it a chance to be like, how is this as a song? You know, how is this as music? Because it, it stops being music and starts being like a thing you hear on the radio. Yeah. There's, I, and I think people just tend to attribute less nuance to that stuff because why would you attribute a nuance to something you hear in the grocery store, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that it's so thoroughly supposed to be that and then it wasn't that gives it this new weird other life where it exists as a ex- intricately designed piece of craft. Oh, yeah. Um, and I totally. think that honestly... It, it's a better deal for the song. People probably, the people that do appreciate it, appreciate it more. It's just instead mm. of, you know, o- owning a house, I don't. Uh, <laughs> and that's, sometimes that's what happens. Oh, but it, that shouldn't take away from the actual musical output of it, you know. I don't think I'd make the trade, to be honest with you. you know, yeah. Easy to say, but. There is yeah immense layering on the drums again, and like, say, tambourines and so on. The yeah. drumming is just, again, really lyrical. I think that's the best way I can describe the drumming patterns is it's almost like he's the way that he's playing is almost like he's scat singing. Yeah. Greg is the most deliberate drummer I've ever met and yeah. maybe ever heard. You know, I started, it was funny until, cause we were high school friends. We played in a band together in high school. So I never yeah. played with another drummer basically until girlfriend material. Right. And, and Jake, who's the drummer of that band is so he's great. And he's great in the way that I would have, you know, expected a rock drummer to be, which is he can sit down behind a kit and just crush it yeah. and just instinctively throw in these fills. And he's improvisational and so talented. Greg, in all of our years of touring, has, I think, one time surprised me on stage with a fill that had never been there before. We don't do surprises. We don't jam on stage. We think about everything and then we practice it for like six sound checks. The, wow. Like the goofiest thing, like, oh, wouldn't it be funny in that song if like the break was a little longer or like we did yeah. this? Most bands would be like, I don't know, let's try it tonight. Tokyo Police Club is like, well, let's try it. Let's think about it for a day. Try it and sound check four <laughs> times and then maybe try it that night. Back on to Hot Tonight. I love the keyboard, like counter melody in the second verse. It's really kind of subtle in the background sort of thing. You know? Yeah, I was really proud of that one. I was surprised I got that one through because the song was so about being like, bam, it's a single. Yeah. And that, that part is, kind of, I mean, you could say that it conflicts with the melody. I mean, it counters the melody, which I think works interestingly, but interesting isn't always what you want when you're trying to like slam people over the head. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe maybe that one part is the reason the song wasn't the, the number one song oh, in America. Oh, <laughs> stop it. No way. That would be hilarious to go to the Sliding Doors universe where it's like, I just they told me I couldn't play that part and we're all like filthy rich. <laughs> oh, damn. It wasn't that good. Sorry. Uh, no. But I lo- I'm really happy about that part. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what the philosophy is overly, but for me, it's more about getting kudos with the other creative people 
but then my my money stream is actually through education so right i'm allowed yeah, to i have enough money just to purely, eat food yeah i'm allowed to just be creative when i'm creative yeah so just to round out hot tonight for me the guitar's dropping out in the middle eight Again, you guys are really, really good at this kind of idea of just not playing and playing when it's appropriate and textural changes, which is really cool. But when the guitar comes back in, and I wonder what you're doing tonight. is it a Roland Space Echo? Because there's this kind of like, I don't know, this it's massive sweep and massive kind of glissando slide up to the high pitch. I'm just wondering if it was that kind of uh, the sweet pedal on the space echo. It's, I don't think so. It's I'm I mean Josh usually just used his uh, his rigs, so it's probably some combo of the Al Capistan Strymon delay, right? And, which is a it's a tape delay or yeah, I mean, yeah. a, ta a tape delay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then maybe his whammy. He does a lot of the big oh okay filter sweep yeah, stuff yeah. using that, like dive bombing up and down. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes he'll get down there or. Was it on? No, it was on Argentina. I remember record him playing the guitar while Dave knelt on the ground and did like a slow sweep of his pedals. Oh, they might cool. have done the same thing on Hot Tonight. Maybe, maybe. I just I I heard that I was listening through it last night as we were emailing, and I heard it through the cans, and it's the first time I've noticed it. I love it when you get those little moments where you've listened to this song year after year after year, and then you finally notice something new. Next song then is Miserable. Right. This is another song that just absolutely pricked up my ears listening to it. Like I said, I wasn't overly hot on Hot Tonight when when that first came through uh, in that first listen. But this one, it was it was just the lock-in groove. Yeah. What's not to like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was going for a huge Nile Rodgers and Chic phase at the time, so... This is one that was really like that's I remember grafting a different verse, like a verse from a different song right. onto Miserable, and it actually stuck. Oh, cool. So it's still it's funny. I, when I experience Miserable, I still experiences it, it as a bit of a like a Frankenstein, ironically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unlike the song Frankenstein. But obviously it doesn't sound like that to people that are hearing it who don't know the other two songs that it was born out of. Yeah. I had I had one lyrical gripe to bring up with you, but again, you're not really okay the man for this but i want to travel curious, to though. the future again i want to travel to the future again have we been to the future before well that would that's implied by the lyric i suppose i guess so did he see this future could he have warned us about the covid lockdown possibly oh. maybe that's why he got miserable <laughs> oh wow okay. i've been to 2020 and it's uh it's, it's not yeah. good news yeah, I mean the bass work in in this song is pretty incredible as well. To the future, I wanna travel to the future. I don't because I don't Dave is the singer. Out. Well, yeah, but I don't have him as a kind of a picked out as a melodic bass player overly. You know, he's. I think he does a lot more of it than people realize. There's a yeah. lot of little smart runs. I mean, it's not he's not Paul McCartney down there, but like. No, he always there's, there's is. Fractions, he knows when yeah. to go away from the 
roots. And he also knows when to not go away from the roots, which is critical. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a huge part of it. There's some wicked guitar tremolo happening. And again, the the groove kicks in so tight. There's a pad on top, which kind of just is like the syrup on the pancakes, if you will. I mean, like, yeah. that's... That's when we sort of realize making this record is when we realize that one trick that never ever fails is just you throw the one and the five, and then you move the five out of the way to the four if you need to for the chord changes, and that's how you do yeah. chorus synth. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, a friend of mine is in a, a great Toronto band, and I won't say the name because maybe I'm giving away secrets that she would prefer I not give away. So <laughs> it's a mystery <laughs> band. But she she asked me to play some keys on their most recent record. Cool. And I was like, oh, oh, what do you want? She was like, I just want to like shine it up, give it some 90s, like pop punk vibes. I was like, say no more. And she came over and I just did it on my computer with my Nord. Yeah. And I think in about two, two hours, I put keyboards on nine songs on the record because I just did that on every chorus. Wow. Okay. It's like, yeah, I don't uh, like sometimes you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes no, you just do the thing that not. you do. And it, it never doesn't make a song a little sparkly or a little more fun. No, absolutely. And, you know, some of these tropes are, are actually, like I, like I say, we need to have our hand held. We, we want to hear yeah. these tropes. And yeah. it doesn't suck because it's not a guitar, so it's not rhythmic. So it's not taking attention as a part. It just it enters once and then it just stays there shimmering. Yeah. And another, like, Enema of the State, that Blink-182 record has that every chorus. It's usually like a weird jazz organ, surprisingly, yeah. but it's just yeah, yeah. up there shimmering and giving the whole song yeah. I mean, Tom Petty used that too, that pedal tone thing, like American Girl is that. Oh, it's, I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It just works. Yeah. Well, and yeah, exactly. Is there a flange guitar in the second chorus? Probably. Probably, uh, yeah. I guess we're. It's, it's, it sounds right. I, I think a lot of our, a lot of my notes here are like looking at effects based sort of stuff well it's great i mean i it's funny the ones that i remember and the ones that i totally don't i mean it's by yeah. that point when we were making force field we were doing it in like the little cheap studio for overdubs yeah and it, and it was quite near my house so there was days where it's like if they're we're just doing josh guitar all day i might just go home yeah yeah fair enough which no. i never that's how i learned that i never ever want to do that i was like no i i hated how i would just come and go from the studio in retrospect it seemed good at the time because i was like if i'm not needed i can just go to my house and watch tv yeah yeah yeah. But now I'm like, but that's not making a record. You got to be all in the studio. And if you're not needed, then you're sitting around being part of the vibe and it all matters. Yeah. So well, I and, learned and I'll, I'll never do that, that again. Yeah. And you miss out on that moment. I'll like, that's why I don't like recording in Toronto now. I want to be somewhere where I have nowhere to go and I'm stuck in the studio. That's actually, that's a really good idea. I wonder if that's why people do kind of record externally overseas and away from home and so on. Yeah, yeah, especially as you get older and you're in the band for a longer time, being yeah. in the studio, unfortunately, becomes a little less special. Yeah. And I think that it's important to take steps to make it feel like... Because when, you know, when you're 19, any recording studio, you feel like you've walked into a movie. Yeah, exactly. When you're, when yeah, you're yeah. 32 and you've been in a recording studio, you know, 50 times, yeah. then it needs, you, need, you need to give it a little something-something to remind yourself that it's special. Yeah, Absolutely. I've also got down just quick notes that I like the layering of the vocals in the bridge. That's another kind of pop music trope, but it just works really well. I get to do the little, the low one live, like the act nice, the syncopated vocals, yeah. the dance with the other vocal part. I, yeah. That's one of my favorite things to sing live. Yeah. I really like that part. Uh, and again, Really awesome bass playing again in the quiet kind of bridge part. 
just mm-hmm. yeah like I say I think there's so much stuff going on a lot of the time between mainly the guitars and I listen to the drums a lot so I just I just never really picked up on the bass playing until again I was listening to it last night and actually the the vinyl repress the bass is huge on this thing I'm thrilled to hear that because we didn't yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't remaster it or anything so no it's just, it's just but well, it's well I mean it's well know, it's really well mixed yeah oh yeah in the, in the first place, Mark Needham. I remember getting the roughs, or not the roughs, like the mixes, because this guy, Mark Needham, was doing it in L.A., so we weren't there. And because I think he was doing it on an analog board, so you'd right. get the mixes, and he'd be yeah. like, I need notes on this now because I can't go back to it. Like, the board right. is up, and once yeah. I move on to the next song, I can't just go back. And I, and so everyone was instructed, like, be available, be by your computer, be by your phone, be able to listen to the mixes. And I had something to do one of the days, and I was like, uh. oh, shit, I'm going to get in trouble and then the first notes came through or the first mixes came through and I was like, oh yeah, no notes. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to need to be like policing these mixes. They are no. perfect. Like maybe I'm like, oh, the tambourine could be down by 1.5 decibels, which is like inaudible and makes no difference. Yeah, but I, yeah. I felt the need to say something to prove I listened to it. Yeah. Yeah. He just did such a good job that they're, they're evergreen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the production value, the the engineering, the mixing on this record is second to none really it is you know, high at five yeah it's, man, it sounds wow. really shiny i may i may sound like um i'm sucking up here but i would put it up there as one of the crispest records i've heard you know up there with the likes of dark side of the moon hell yeah just because like again the drum sound alone is just so good you know it's really good but it doesn't call attention yeah. to itself so it never got i don't think people think of it the first time they hear it is like oh what a good sounding record because it just sounds correct you know, yeah. it doesn't sound fancy. It's not gim- gimmicky. And I don't mean that gimmick is bad. No, no, like, no. I think that like Champ is a record that really has a sound. And when you hear it, you're like, this is a cool sounding record. They made some choices. Yeah. yeah. Horsefield just kind of sounds like what music sounds like. Yeah. But exactly so. So, I, yeah, I like that so much. Yeah. Do you get miserable? Okay, well then the next song gonna be ready again. I mean, I'm really sorry to do this to you, man, but drums. Oh. Oh, they're great. The drums are so good. Yeah. Gonna be ready is. It's, I mean, this isn't about the drums, but it was born out of Greg and Josh jamming, and Josh was playing that sort of spooky verse guitar part, like the weird uh, twisty minor thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Greg was grooving along, and we were like, that's really cool. Yeah. How in God's name is this going to be a rock song? Like, how do you yeah, sing yeah. over that in a way that doesn't sound like it's the Monster Mash? Yeah. And then Dave <laughs> went home with it. He took the like the recording of them jamming home and came back in. It was like, here's the melody. And we were all just like, oh, how yeah. did you do that? Yeah. You turned it into like a catchy pop song that it has like this weird you know, Halloween guitar yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we haven't played that song live in years and years, and I always forget how cool it is. When you when you come to London, you can you can right. trust that I will be there. We don't usually like to rehearse, but we would have to rehearse for that one. <laughs> yeah, okay, I understand that one. The vocal effect in the pre-chorus is really cool as well. And every time I drive in the city, I think I see you. I think it's just like a, a layer of reverb and so on. That Probably kind just of, crank up the verb, yeah. Yeah, that makes it, again, but now that you say that it's kind of monster mashy, a bit spooky, that really, that does give it that 
that kind of tone. The bass tone on the song is immense as well, really, really punchy. Wait for the heat to break. Which is mm-hmm. which is awesome, you know. It's really good to hear, and it's a shame that Jake's gone because he's a big fan of punchy bass. It's yeah. got that real like eight by ten cabinet sound. Like you yeah. can't get that bass sound out of anything other than a loud as hell eight by ten cabinet with like a good old Ampeg head just driving it. Yeah, exactly. it just has a little bit of bite in it, but it still has yeah. all the low end. The entire frequency spectrum is in it. Yeah, exactly. It's got that little snap on the string. You know, does he does he play with a pick? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I, that, I don't know if there's helps. a single song where he doesn't play with a pick. Okay, well, that's all right. You know. Maybe Daisy Chain on the new record. Okay. But even that one, I think he might have done a pick. Yeah, he's always been a, a pick pick player. Yeah, and he's yeah. got really nice, I mean, talk about gear, he's got really nice, like, 70s P basses that are just... Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, you guys have all got pretty sweet gear. We find, I mean, well, I say finally, the first few years we all had terrible, crappy gear, and it was always, yeah. like, an in-joke in the band that we, like, how are we like a tour? Because we got successful so fast. Like, how are we touring with garbage exclusively? Yeah. And then one by one, we started having a little bit of money. And also it seemed like, oh, the thing you should do with your money is buy good gear, probably, because you actually need it. It's for your job. Yeah, yeah. And so one by one, everyone, I was the last person to get a good guitar. Uh, but Which was your, your 72, your 73 yeah, Deluxe. Deluxe. Yeah. yeah. I've also got a note here, Heavenly Synth Pads. Oh yeah, really, there's some really, really nice cool. delayed out to just sort of like falling in from the sky to go. Bloop, 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 yeah, bloop. exactly. Never got that one right live. I've never got the synth part on that song anything closer than an approximation live. Oh really? Because I would never listen to it. We would just rehearse it, and I would do what I thought sounded right. But if we ever play it again, I'll go back and listen to the record and make sure that I actually. I'm sure I can dial it in. I just yeah, yeah. Have you listened to the to the vinyl repress? I don't know that I have. It's funny. I've been packaging them. My apartment is full of them, but I don't know that yeah, I've yeah. actually. Cause I just got. I just got a test press of a different thing we're putting out soon, and so oh, I was going through and reviewing that. Exclusive. And I, distracted yeah. me from the uh, the record thing. I think it's getting announced on Monday, so it might already be announced by the time this comes out. Actually, but oh yeah, that's okay. I I wouldn't I wouldn't dream of the exclusive anyway, but it's, it's not good. it's not that exclusive. <laughs> yeah, I got a question from Chris May in Wellington, New Zealand, also. There seem to be a lot of sound effects. I guess we've kind of talked about this on the song, this song and in the album. Is that done in post or do you perform them on the synth? So some of the, I'm trying to think there's kind of, there's a couple of panty things that happen. I mean, everything's performed, you know, doing it in post is kind of a hard yes or no answer in the studio because it's all post basically. Oh yeah, fair uh, enough. Yeah, You know, yeah. We, we, we've never really done anything Actually, like the four of us went in the room, we amped up, mic'd up the amps, played, and that was the record. You know, it's yeah. always like, even when you start, like Force Field, we recorded all the songs that way, and then you'd strip everything off the top and put it back on. Yeah, yeah. Because you always end up comping the drums or like editing the drums a bit or just like dialing stuff in. We can never resist getting it a little more, you know, you a got the juicier. computer right there. You might as well use it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we never like went into a sound effects bank and started dropping in samples. Everything is like, if we thought, oh, it would be cool if something went whoosh here, then we'd go whoosh on a guitar or on a keyboard right that's cool though. A, lo- yeah. a lot of those are little moments are josh though he's like a, the king of <laughs> just doing something where everyone's like what did you just do what was that and he'll be like i don't know this and we're like yeah record that right now <laughs> and he, he won't want to we started oh, calling annoying. it on the la- oh my god on the last record though we finally we would record all the guitars me and josh would record them at the same time in the room together so it had a little live flavor okay. yeah 
Then once we thought we had everything dialed in with the bass and the guitars, Rob Schnapp would be like, so Josh, you want to send out the probe? And Josh would just go in and we just loop him through the song like five or six times, record everything he did. And then from that, you would just be like, well, there's like a million of the best ideas I've ever heard. Let's pick oh, the best wow. three and drop them in through the song. Oh, that's he's so man. cool. He's, a, he's yeah. so good. And he's, he's the only member of the band that's like, quiet and humble just talk all the time <laughs> so he's the least assuming and then you realize like oh he's just like spending all that energy making all the best parts oh that's awesome though i last note i have for this one is that there's a really subtle kind of shift from half time to well, what i'd call normal time who would never say shit to me now as pretty as they were which is accented really well by the guitar, I'm, I'm assuming Josh, who's accenting the backbeat, the two and the four. It just, yeah, it's it's tiny little tricks like that that, well, frankly, I'm, I'm going to have to steal from my own music. But they're just, they're so really, really ridiculously simple, but so effective. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, consciously or not, we stole it from somewhere else. Because you just know, like, sometimes you feel it, and you're like, oh, I think the pre-chorus of that song where it does pull back, yeah was just like i don't know that that was a big whiteboard moment i think it just kind of felt right yeah and when something feels right all that means is that somewhere in your brain you're subconsciously trying to invoke a sound you've heard somewhere before yeah well yeah so quite possibly it's all copying baby yeah yeah i keep it together Okay, well then, Beaches is the next song. Really nice groove set up in the beginning of this one. Wicked synth sounds. You've got a pad in the left and right ear. There's like two pads going. There's an arpeggiator yeah. in the center. And then yeah. a mono melody line on top of all of that. Yeah, that's a big keyboard song. It's yeah. I don't remember everything I play, but I know the Strymon El Capistan, I was playing like the the main the chords, which yep. are just little double stops. I was playing on like a big like a thick sine wave on something analog through the delay just to oh, really cool. give it that like washy sort of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's really And then cool. yeah, that that so that sound, the main riff in the chorus, it goes ba ba ba. That's yeah. the schnapp sound. That's the Tokyo Police Club keyboard bell that we love using so much. Okay. Okay. So um, like you could give me you could give me like a any, any old piece of trash keyboard and I could dial that song song sound in like blindfolded, like a special forces guy assembling an AK forty seven with yeah, a blindfold yeah, yeah. on in two seconds flat. That's that's how I can get that sound. It's it's my that's the sound of my heart. I've I've got the note that I I love that count melody in the in the chorus, yeah. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Oh, man. It's quite empty, this song, texturally speaking. Until the chorus, because there's no guitar in there, which is, again, I've, I've said it before, you guys are really good at just, like, not playing your instruments, but all one really at important time. Skill. It, it's a hugely important skill, and again... There's something I'm telling kids at school all the time that even when you're up on stage, you don't have to play your instrument throughout that whole time. And that's this is one of the this is one of those like uh, psychological keys to being 
a good band member, I think it's like it's an it's so corny to say it's an ego thing, but it really is an ego thing. Yeah. To be like the best thing I can do right now is not be on the song. Yeah. Is you have to get over like your really deep seated musical pride. And I think a big thing that all bands have to go through, especially early on. Yeah, yeah. Is reckoning with everyone's individual ego and how that collectively bangs together. Well, and I find it's it's mainly guitarists as well that seem to really struggle with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there's always something you can do. Yeah. You know, like there's a million things Josh could have played in the verse and it all would have been fine and yeah. even good. But yeah. nothing is as good as w- keeping his powder dry until the appropriate moment. The vocal delivery, it really reminds me of an Australian singer called Courtney Barnett. I sleep in late another day. Oh, what a wonder. Oh, what a way. Oh, man, she rules. I love that. Yeah. I just, I absolutely love her kind of monotonous vocal drone, as I as yes, I call that's, it. But she, he kind of does that too. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that, but I'm going to listen to those two songs back to yeah. back. That would be I mean, in a, in a world, you know, like they're doing that Rilo Kylie tribute album right now. I saw a oh, bunch of cool okay. bands are doing that, and I always, I mean, I can't complain about Tokyo Police Club's career. We've done so well, and I'm so lucky. But I always just wish I was like, if we were a little more, not even like popular, just beloved like i would love there to be like a tribute album where courtney barnett covered beaches you know? <laughs> that would be so cool but that would only exist if we like got the money together and did it as a vanity project no one's gonna do that of their own accord and that i'm like that's the one thing i wish that like all the cool bands out there were like man i'd love to cover a tokyo please club song yeah yeah well that's that's usually a question i ask jake at the end of every episode is what what band could you imagine covering one of these songs so i guess you've kind of answered that in a way. Yeah, I never would have thought of that one before. No. But now that you said it. I mean, she's so good and she's so, you know, she has all that personality. Yeah. She like yeah, yeah. she's like a weirdly crappy guitar player, kind of. Like you see her play guitar no, and sort of this mean. invented thumb strum yeah. thing that like should not work, but yeah. makes it so Yeah, yeah. It's completely yeah, unorthodox. But yeah, no, she's wicked. And yeah, so I mean Courtney, Courtney Barnett playing this song would be pretty good. That would be. I mean, what a greedy thing to say. Like, I wish that all my favorite musicians were covering Tokyo Police Club songs. Oh, Come but, on, Graham. No, I mean, like... But of course I do. Who wouldn't yeah, wish that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I whenever I'm writing a song, I'm writing it usually in some sort of idea of someone playing it live. Sure. So, you know, I might be thinking, right, well, this is a really good James Hetfield vocal sort of thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah. There's reverbed R's after the chorus. In the vocals, which is quite cool, quite effective. That just brings it back down. There's a couple of like, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, which are really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's really good. Like little, I don't know what you call those, little like Springsteen histrionics. Yeah, yeah. And again, the guitar in the second verse is a great textural device. Happens all the time because obviously he's now playing in the second verse. The wavering synth line that leads into the chorus, I believe that's probably the second chorus. That's That really Makes caught sense. my attention, yeah. I think there's acoustic guitar in the bridge. With, I want to say, a diminished I always chord? put acoustic guitar in the bridge. Yeah, there's a weird, I can, again, I could play it if you gave me a guitar, but I never yeah. learned what the chords yeah, were yeah. called. My, but my I have notes a big, just say spicy. Yeah. 
There's a there's a moment in the bridge of Body Snatchers by Radiohead where acoustic like stereo panned acoustic guitars come in, and I yeah. was like, that's a what a genius thing to do on a rock song. So yeah, yeah. From then on, I put it like Tunnel Vision, which we'll talk about, has acoustic guitars on the bridge. Yeah. This has it's always me being like, let's do the Body Snatchers thing. Let's do the Body Snatchers thing. <laughs> Oh, it's it's great. I mean, uh, there's Midnight Oil bands like Midnight Oil from Australia as well. Mm-hmm. They got so many acoustic guitars running through their stuff, and most of the time we don't even actually pick it out. You know, because you get percussion and harmony all with one instrument. It's like yeah. you don't need to add a tambourine if you put on an acoustic guitar. Very smart. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So the next song is Toy Guns. Yes. Without delving too much into this, the oh, oh, I believe this is a comment on gun ownership and so on. And I think uh, there's, there's an Australian comedian, Jim Jeffries, that says mm-hmm. his best bits about gun ownership, which we'll clip in there. I don't like guns. Right? I'm going to say some things that are just facts. Right? In Australia, we, we had guns. Right? Right up until 1996. And in 1996, Australia had the biggest massacre on Earth. Still hasn't been beaten. And... (laughs) Now, after that, they banned the guns. Now, in the 10 years before Port Arthur, there was 10 massacres. Since the gun ban in 1996, there hasn't been a single massacre since. I don't know how or why this happened. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it was a coincidence, right? Now, please understand that I understand that Australia and America are two vastly different cultures with different people, right? I get it. In Australia, we had the biggest massacre on earth, and the Australian government went, that's it, no more guns. And we all went, and we all went, yeah, right then, that seems fair enough, really. <laughs> now, in America, you have the Sandy Hook massacre where little tiny children died, and your government went, maybe, We'll get rid of the big guns. Uh, when I was in Atlanta, I went to a gun range yeah, yeah. and not only witnessed a bloke showing off his homemade automatic pistol, but also Jesus. saw another guy in the parking lot strapping a handgun to each ankle, each thigh, each hip, as well as yep. having a shotgun across his back and a rifle across the other side. Yeah, he may as well have been the Terminator, really. That's how much ammunition oh, he had yeah. on him. Well, I think they think they think of themselves as the Punisher, I believe. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the particular American <laughs> psychological delusion that leads to, yeah, that level. It is. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know. I don't think that this song was written as a particularly political. We're not political as a band, like musically. No. You know, all art. No, all art is political, but that doesn't mean yeah. it has to be about politics. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like we were we were writing these songs in 2012, 2013 as like 25-year-old Canadians. As far yeah. as we knew at that point, everything was hunky-dory. We're like, I don't know, Obama, it's fine. The problems are over, right? Which obviously was was completely wrong, but we didn't know. We were living in our little bubble of rock and roll. We were happy. So I doubt that it was intended terribly as any kind of particularly political statement. But it is, is now that you put it that way, it really does ring true. I mean, it is. They're, they're, they're playing with them as toys. That's all it is. It's, yeah. It's well, children, and, children and pointing sticks it. at each other. It's just they're lethal. I've got another pitchfork quote for you. Oh, good. This one, again, it's a bit of a backhand compliment, but I, I kind I'm, of... D- that I, does not phase me, believe me. Okay. They say, Toy Guns outsources the shrugging, shuffling beat of its chiming chorus from Avril Lavigne's Complicated. When every other kid on the block has a shotgun. 
Damn. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I was a big fan of Avril Lavigne back in the day. The songs are good. Yeah, I was I was the right demographic for it, I think. I was <laughs> right at the right age group. But yeah. I was listening to it through that prism, and the, the, the drum beat is actually remarkably similar. I'm not trying to claim that you guys have stolen it, because if anything, I think your drum is way too amazing yeah. for well, that. I mean, isn't the chorus beat of that song like, buh, ka, buh, buh, ka? Buh. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. it's a, it's a bit more of a Ba-ba. shuffle, but yeah, it's, I, uh, the point of, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's almost like, even if it was done out of like a, um, kind of a hubris, you've heard that song and just put that beat in, like we were saying, I don't know, for me, we've taken this song, we've taken that beat out of a overblown crappy song and put it into actually a decent song you know what i mean and we've repurposed that repackaged it i mean i and i i would freely admit if we had copied it on purpose because we copied tons of stuff on purpose at that point and still but that was definitely i don't think anyone ever consciously knew we were we were doing a complicated i never thought about that until right now which is so interesting but uh, it is the the thing that everyone referenced when we were working on toy guns at the time was that fun song we are young Oh, yeah. Uh, Which was big. Like, that was big in that summer. Yeah. And because the thing about music industry people is they sometimes have a superficial and reactionary understanding of how songs work. Yeah. And so people knew that the fun song was popular. And the most obvious thing about the fun song is that the chorus goes halftime. Yeah. And so when we had this song where the chorus went halftime, everyone's eyes flipped over into dollar signs. They're like, great. That's like the fun song. People love halftime choruses. And of course, the the actual answer, because that was the summer where the three big songs were We Are Young, the someone that I used to know. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember the other, but it was three of the most weird like, different uh, songs you can imagine. Kicks? It was Pumped Up Kicks. That's exactly yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Because we opened, we opened for Foster the People. Oh, okay, time. cool. Uh, it was a fun tour. But yeah, so it was like, oh, the only thing that makes songs hits is if they're good and people like them. Yeah. And you can't just do the halftime thing and make that a hit. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and we never, this song never became a single ultimately, but there was a moment where everyone in our sort of orbit, our team, was salivating over the fact that this was going to be it. This was going to be, because at that point we were still looking, what's going to be the Tokyo Police Club single that pushes us over the edge and makes us the big band? Right. And it, this was considered to be a big candidate for a while, but. Oh, okay. Instead, instead, it's just another good Tokyo Police Club song. It's a deep cut. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, like I say, it's it's not necessarily stealing from it i'd never even put two and two together with complicated until i read that from pitchfork bloody pitchfork bloody pitchfork yeah so i really like the bass i assume it's the bass that's playing like all of these kind of like slides and so on i'm just another jagged gentleman it, uh, yeah, there's yeah. also a lot of bass synth on this song. There's a lot yeah. of like real sub bass, low stuff, yeah. which is this was a really tough one to get going live because the whole first verse is very unusually for us computery. Yeah, it's a lot of like chopped up claps and chopped up synth bass and like duplicating it live. We figured it out, but it was very tricky. Yeah, okay, really fun harmonies on this song, too. Yeah, and the key key line in the chorus kind of really enhances that skipping feeling of the beat so i think like yeah exactly bum, bum. because you're doing it everybody else is actually quite straight 
yeah. because you're doing that it gives it that really kind of yeah skipping feeling which is yeah, really interesting. I love that part. And that's a that part's on the black keys so you can play it like the da-da-da, da-da-da, Oh cool. That's yeah, basically yeah. Bum, 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 bum. uh and it's a Chamberlain harpsichord sample so sort of a Mellotron adjacent oh, sample cool. on the Nordwave. Nice. I'm just one. I'm just Well, then the next song is Tunnel Vision. I've only got a couple of notes for this one. This one's got some cool production. This was another riffy one that I was like, how are we going to turn this into a song with a melody? And Dave rolled in with the oh. demo sort of all set up. And was like, oh, that's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it's it's a wicked tune, this one. Um, massive punchy bass. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is that's the thing about this is the bass song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets uh, it gets to riff, it gets to have the song to itself to do it. it's like ba bam ba bam yeah. which is a very rock and roll tropey thing to do. Yeah, oh, but it's it's it works it's and um the guitar sounds so good in this song as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, that the, Josh and Dave locking in like that yeah. and then I get to do this like the Selena New Order string high string synth line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is every every keyboardist just wants to play string synths, man. That's the the oh, funnest thing. Absolutely. You can do. I don't know if this makes sense. There are panned who's. Oh, that's the. Yeah, that yeah. chopped up thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's wicked. I'll that's really all from Dave's that. demo. He he did that like sort of went home from the rehearsal space with the idea that we'd sketched out that day. And he came back the next day with all that claps and the like chopped up stuff on it. And I think we just took his like home demo of that and just like dropped it into the logic file. And that was, or the Pro Tools file, I guess. Wow. That's what's on the record. That's awesome. And there's a, there's like, I've called it the arcade synth line in the bridge that did it, did it. Oh, yeah. Um, that was me. That's, that's a classic Graham Wright. Like yeah. maybe a little too busy, too clever by half, but it works. Oh no, I think on it's the classic snap sound, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I do, think. Do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I was trying to do Cars by Gary Newman because I knew like the <sighs> string synth put me in the mind of '80s like synth rock, and that like it's really dumb, like ba 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 ba. Yeah, ba, yeah, ba, yeah. Ba, 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 ba. yeah. And that yeah. kind of like sort of basic, dull, like not dull, like uh, thudding. It's just like not nuanced. It's not subtle. It just is like here are some notes. Here yeah, are yeah. some more notes. <laughs> and uh i i love that kind of shit and we don't usually get to fit that in in the band so i was really happy when that got i i think i think that actually gives the song its gleam it gives it it's like the wax on the car you know like that's great i think it's a really neat part man that makes that whole I'm song more than just me. a pretty face <laughs> Then we have Through the Wire. Yes, a song that was never performed live, I don't think. Really? Yeah, I think this one. We rehearsed it. We almost had it going. It's got a lot. It's got, I was doing a big bass synth. It's like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Those octaves on the yeah, bass synth. Yeah, big yeah, yeah, spread yeah. hand. It's really hard to do both the... It's like a piano part, and I'm not a good pianist. I don't have good left-hand, right-hand independence. Okay, right. I got, and then when I worked so hard and I got it, yeah. And then we never played it. I was like, come oh, on, guys. No. Well, my first note, yeah, is Fatty Synth, man. That That is oh, yeah. balls deep, that synth. It's wicked. 
That's Moog, man. Yeah. Nothing else. Nothing else yeah. gets down there like that. I mean, the the only other note I have is actually a lyric-based one talking about uh, communication through message and phone. You know, and I guess I've yeah. I've been fortunate again being a teacher that I haven't really done long-term touring. So it must be quite thrilling in one way to be out there on the road with your mates, but also a bit of a tough and lonely experience in some moments. You got to figure out your way through it. I mean, that's a real yeah. long distance relationship song on, on its surface. I don't think there's much you know mystery to that. Yeah, yeah. It's totally doable. And some people have now being older and, and even, you know, knowing some musicians around town who are in their 40s who have really been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Some of the best like people with the best relationships, not only with their partner, but like with their kids and stuff that I know are people who are out touring because if you put the work in and you figure it out, then it can actually be like a really wonderful thing. It just, it's not easy. And there's always a moment when you're first touring where you're like, oh no, this is a big problem. <laughs> yeah. 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 But no. you know, you can get, you can get used to anything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, it's always been one of the hesitations for me. I guess I've, I haven't had a band that where we've been able to be in that position. If you are in a band that plays live, I really think if you ever get the chance or even if you can carve it out, do mm. one tour, just do oh, it once yeah. because it's it's such a wonderful, special, unique, joyful experience. That, yeah. And it makes you so much better as a band. Like the difference between a band that you could rehearse for eight hours a day every day for a year in your rehearsal space or go on one tour that's like a week yeah. and a half long yeah. and the tour will make you 10 times as tight. Absolutely. There's just nothing else that makes you that good at playing live. It's really something. Yeah. No, uh, and, and, and it's I, a I miss different crowd so as well. Much. No, it's, oh, yeah. yeah uh, and the adversity. I mean, you're playing in terrible venues. You're not facing each other. It's just like, and you have to, but you have to play the show. You can't yeah, hear yeah. yourself. You can't hear the other guys, but you have to play the show. Yeah, you exactly. You can't walk away. Yeah. You do, it's not the 90s anymore. If we stopped playing gigs, we, people just wouldn't hire us anymore. They don't care. There's other bands. Yeah, yeah, So you yeah. have to get through it, and you're exhausted, and you're drunk, or you're hungover, or both, usually. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and then you, but you make it work, and then you realize, like, oh, damn, I'm really good at this now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've only done a couple of tours in my time, but yeah, it is definitely that, you know, and it's it's the thrill of it as well. You're kind of, especially early on, just riding on a ton of adrenaline throughout most oh, yeah. of that tour. You know, you you get back and you're just exhausted. Oh, you, you always get sick like the day you get home. Yeah. Your body's like, okay, na now can I rest? I Because yeah. I have so many germ germs inside me. <laughs> and that's that's the exact same with teachers on the summer holiday. Guaranteed, man. Well, the last song for us to discuss is Feel the Effect, the closing song. Yeah, I love this song, man. Yeah, man. More incredible drums just yes. doing, doing the their open thing. open hi-hat. Yeah. Yeah. That little skip at the end. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent keyboard timbres as well and sonority. And I just, you know, the keyboard parts for me are really, really key on this album. In the band that I'm in with Jake at the moment, I'm playing guitar and keyboards. I'm mm -hmm. I'm almost doing your role. I'm singing harmony vocals, playing a bit of tambourine, Hell guitar yeah. keyboards. And it's just always trying to find that right synth sound. And you, know, you guys have just really nailed it on this album. It seems like 
well, you've said that it's four years in the making, but you've put the work in and it's all just come together. Sometimes when you spend that much time and brain power making something, it, it, it gets too clever and you kind of you stifle it with thoughts. Yeah. But I think that Force Field, we actually managed to... There were points, like if we had recorded it, I always think of Force Field, we could have made it in 2012 and it would have been a totally different record that would have been really good. Yeah. If we'd made it in 2013, it would have been terrible. Because at that point, we'd piled too much thought on it. But then yeah. by 2014, we carved a lot of the thought away. Yeah. Excuse me, and left only the best. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I think Feel the Effect is a good example. It's a pretty austere song, arrangement-wise. Oh, There's not absolutely. a lot happening most of the time. Yeah, and it's it's the simple things, man. The the guitar line and the, the that little melodic guitar line is so simple. But it's just so effective. That was a classic of a weird Tokyo Police Club thing where I will sometimes sort of like feed a bunch of stuff into Dave's brain and then it, <laughs> his brain will like pick one teensy part out of it. And, right. I'll, and I'll be like, that's the only thing I wouldn't have thought was useful. <laughs> and so like, yeah. I remember at, at the time we were working on Force Field, I was just making a lot of weird instrumental stuff on my Logic. I just got Logic and I was getting really into all the built-in synths and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I sent Dave this like 14 track, just sort of like bad Trent Reznor ripoff thing. <laughs> and he took at the end of one of the songs, I had just let like one of the Logic pre-synth synths that was doing all kinds of crazy business yeah. loop for like a little bit longer than the rest of the song. Right. And he chopped out like one sliver little slice of that hungover synth. Right, and that's like the 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 main like riff of feel the effect. Wow, is just like a teensy little sliver of like a four minute demo. Oh, that that's would sound awesome. nothing like that. That it's, is so it's cool. His yeah, mind. Yeah. Wow, yeah. the chorus is really hypnotic again. Really fun harmonies in that one too. Yeah, just that I get to do when we play a live. Relentless. Yeah. The broken up solo. Willie Mammoth. I'm assuming, okay, I was going to say, I'm assuming that's on the guitar. Yeah, it's through one of those really, it's, what's the company? Zyvex or something? Some like boutique. Oh, Zyvex, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that one. So the Willie Mammoth. Is so it has a gate on it because it's so fuzzy, yeah. and if you dial the gate in just right and turn everything else up, it yeah. lets it through in those weird choppy ways. And yeah, so that yeah. was a full just Josh going hog wild on the yeah. Oh, I really like that one. Yeah, and then it also has that really high underneath that like fuzzy solo. There's that high like super high fi gated like synth, oh yeah which is yeah very yeah. very like producing production style so those two things going together i think is really cool yeah and uh i think that might be what i'm talking about when i say the sputtering synth he's given terrible advice to me um, oh yeah yeah exactly yeah and lovely yeah again melodic guitar playing but the best part of me for the song and I, you're gonna need to let me explain this i don't want you to take it the wrong way the best I'm part of for me this song is the end
because it's it, this is a this is a songwriting like a compositional technique that I'm really latching on to at the moment where everything like there's just a vocal loop going round and round and round and round and round and round for like ages and I I really like the just have that feel the effect feel the effect for going around for ages and it's just it's just looping and looping and looping I mean the Phoenix Foundation who I've talked about just before they mm -hmm. they did something really similar on their song race day literally what? like four minutes of their five minute song is the ending kind of thing how does feel the effect end i haven't does it fade out does it land on a chord or something i know it like kind of grooves on the thing for a while but what is the actual end of that song i think i think it just starts to break down i think the the vocal stops at right. the very very end and then yeah there we start to take the layers out but anyway it's probably one of my favorites on the album i yeah i think that song's so special it's a really yeah. good deep cut I was just going to say, I find it to be such a, the record is, even though it's on a nine song record, yeah. uh, one of the songs is three songs, but whatever, nine song record. <laughs> there's so much and it's quite a, there's a lot going on on that record. I think it's a, it's a pretty yeah. meat, meaty meal, a lot yeah. of protein. And I think that Feel the Effect is a really nice, just like breath of chill, fresh air at the end to finally like let you off the hook of the record. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you think you've got things like tunnel vision through the wire and so on directly before is a lot of energy, yeah. a lot of energy. And this, this just kind of, you know, this is the long cigarette after a long night. Exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. I've obviously gone out and purchased the the vinyl. The vinyl sounds and amazing. We thank you. Yeah, yeah. Have you got any of them left? Because there was a limited number, wasn't there? There was a limited number, but we're not through all of them yet. And I think I'm getting another. I think I have like eight or nine in my apartment, and I'm getting another box shipped from the label cool. soon. So, I mean, they won't last for another two or three months, but no. you could probably probably still count on getting one. And hand-packed by me, myself. Exactly. I've got the so, notes to prove it. Yeah. What's not to love? Yeah, yeah. And you really should head out and collect it. Not only does it look gorgeous with its kind of like purple splatter and everything mm -hmm. like that, but the sound quality is so much better than what you get on Spotify and and so on. When I when I put it on, like the room was shaking kind of thing because of the bass. It was, it was so good. Uh, well, Graham, look, man. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. It's been nearly like oh my god, this two was a and blast. Half hours. This was so yeah. fun. Um, I I love to talk about myself, and nobody wants to talk about Force Field. It's it's you know it's hasn't had any kind of critical reevaluation. So this is the first time I've got to really go this deep because usually it's like I'm out with my friends. Yeah, I'm going out with my friend Tom tonight, and he likes talking about He'll be like, "That hot tonight's a good song," and I'll start to talk about it, and then I'll be like, eh, "I'm talking a lot. I've had three beers. I should just like." dial it back and so to be in a situation where i am encouraged yeah man to Absolutely. go on and on and on it is one of my favorite things to do 
Yeah. Oh, look, it's I've I've said it a number of times. It's such a fantastic record. Jake and I both really struggled to get notes down this week because we'd listen to we put it on and we'd get to feel the effect and we've gone oh I haven't written <laughs> notes for the other nine songs you know or the other eight songs so it's it's oh, just man, one that's of so those nice. ones. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, it, I can't tell you how much it means to me. Oh well, I'm I'm pleased, man. It's 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 a two way street. Like I say, you know, your music has been big for me. I'm glad that I get this moment to actually send it back a bit. Um, it's been really kind of you to be here with us and and put up with our yeah, it's, uh, time I, zone I w- differences and oh, so on. It was my pleasure. <laughs> I wish we were coming in of two months instead of an indeterminate amount of time. But when we do get there, yeah, whatever. If we're, I think, I think Brighton's on the list. I'm not sure. I think and, London was the closest for us. Okay, that's yeah. Huh, well, whatever. Yeah. If if we're in the neighborhood and you're and you're in session in school and you want to like I don't <laughs> know bring the kids to sound check or or you know whatever, I, that would I love be the really idea. Cool, of, man. You know, yeah, yeah. Whatever whatever wisdom we have to impart on the next generation, and that is questionable at best. But you know, I'm getting old enough now that I start to think about passing it on to the, <laughs> the next humans. <laughs> oh, that's that's really kind of you. You could definitely count on us purchasing tickets and being there. It's amazing. Uh, it will be I, really, cool. I really, truly cannot wait. Uh, <laughs> I'm sad that I have to, but that's the world in which we live, so it could be worse for me. Jake, we're here after the fact. We're here a day later. We've spoken to Graham. You've had your rehearsal. Yeah. Did it go Very, well? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it went went brilliantly. What uh, what day is it on? The the live stream. Yeah. I think it's a week today, but depending on whether or not we can actually get it organized logistically, it, that may be pushed back just because nobody's actually spoken to anyone about doing it. Uh, I know, I, I, know how mean, yeah, yeah. I know how we're going to do it. We'll, um, we'll mic everything up, have it run to a desk at electric and then have the, have a stereo out from the desk into my interface, which will then, then we'll have a separate computer that does the, um, the actual broadcasting. Oh, so See you're going to so live stream in the room? Yeah, it's yeah, not we're going like to live stream. Oh, it's not going to be like a virtual... No, no, so we're going to do almost like... Um, we'll be like... Almost like a... Remember the Rage Ahead did like from the basement? From the basement, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's the kind of vibe I think we're going for. Right. That's cool. I I totally had the wrong idea. It's going to be better. I... <laughs> I, I yeah, it's a lot of yeah. crap I wrote when I ate when I was eighteen. That's going to be better. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like the four squares on the screen sort of thing in your own homes. No, no, God, that would be a nightmare to try and work out. That's what I thought. That's why I was thinking you're a brave man. But you know, no, no, we're just hiring a room yeah. at Electric. Okay, so with a bit of luck, listeners, you will be able to see Jake in action with Lulla Violet in a mm. live stream. Either, I'm trying to think, hopefully I can get this out in time so that it actually happens on the day of. If not, keep an, keep an eye out. It might yeah. not be the 11th, but it, okay. that's what we're shooting for. Right. Anyway, we, we digress. Jake was out at a rehearsal for a live stream event last night and left me chatting with Graham. And a good three hours later or so... <laughs> I began to realize that I needed Jake for the final questions. So we've come Mm. back, we've reconvened, and we're going to go through 
the final thoughts on the album. So, Jake, final thoughts. We're recording after the fact because as awesome as it was speaking to Graham, it's a little bit biased, I guess, to ask him whether it's a sound purchase to to buy his own record. And he did point that out to us. The first question, the usual question, Mm -hmm. your favourite track off the record? I was oven and ahhing and I'm going to go with, I think, with Beaches. Millions Uh, of Beaches. I was listening to it. (laughs) features <laughs> for you <laughs> i was kind of listening back to it and it just sounds like it could be in a car commercial like uh like a ford new... ka nah no nah, like like an suv sort of like the, the toyota rav4 oh did a quick little google i was like that's about right toyota and it was the first thing that came up because obviously you mentioned about they get the yeah. name wrong like so yeah like an suv that's four by four thing it's never in its life gonna see the country no <laughs> In a city car for for life. So, are you picking it off the music, or are you picking off the fact of like this this fiction that you've built up of it being a car com- a car advert? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> so you said beaches, and I think initially you said going to be uh, ready, going to be ready, yeah, as well. And Graham and I were both tossing tossing up between Argentina and feel the effect. So the start and the end of the album, we both actually wound up agreeing to Argentina, mainly because it kind of covers all the basis and all of the emotions. And mm. yeah, I mean, it's pretty epic. Okay, so who would you like to cover one of these songs? That's a difficult one. I would like to see Gonna Be Ready covered by We Are Scientists. Oh, okay. Hmm. I like that. I think they had to do a good job of it. It's got it's got a very We Are Scientist vibe to it anyway. So Yeah. Yeah, that's me. How about you? Well, Graham Graham said yesterday, mainly because I implanted this into his mind through very clever interviewing, <laughs> Courtney Barnett doing a cover of Beaches. Nice. Yeah, and he he was a really big fan of Courtney Barnett, which really we all are because she's pretty awesome. Some of the ones that I noted down was Hot Tonight by Franz Ferdinand. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. which uh, Graham Graham said actually Franz Ferdinand were quite a big influence in the early days of the band, which I guess would have been around the right time if they formed in like 2005, 2006. Yeah. yeah and that would have been right at the height of Franz Ferdinand's, Franz Ferdinand's power. powers. Yeah. yeah, they weren't quite the kings of indie because Arctic Monkeys were a thing, but they were certainly yeah. like a very close second. Exactly. Feel the effect by the Phoenix Foundation. Mm. That's that's a bit of a cop out because I compared that song to them anyway. Oh, right, but, fair enough. But yeah, I'd probably have to go Franz Ferdinand Hot Tonight. I think their so, guitar, their guitar like tones and so on, just really match that song. Okay, so third question: Does Force Field rank in your top ten? Uh, I'm going to say a yes. Yes, it does. Ooh, cool. Now you're going to ask me where, aren't you? I I I am, and you can and use the just... new you can use the new URL of asoundpurchase.com to double check. Most of our traffic, I swear, comes from both of us looking up our top tens every week. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, dear listener, you can you too can look up the top tens list. We've got we've got them there on the website. It's been newly revamped. Sound purchase. Dot com. That's a soundpurchase.com. 
asoundpurchase.com. Yeah. All right, let's have a look. Oh, it's uh, very swish. Very, very mm. swish. Mm. Right, so where am I going to put it? Do I prefer it to the mollusk? That's my question. Ooh. I don't think I do prefer it to the mollusk, uh, so I'm going to put it in at number five. At number five. Mm-hmm. So Jake is putting it in at five, and I, this is the tough one, I am going to put it in my top ten, and I think I'm going to put it in at number two. Number two. So Faith Wowzers. No More's Angel Dust still remains the champion. I'm going to put number this at number two, two which Wowzers. actually bumps off the spirit machines for both of us, I think. I think it does, yeah. Yeah. Diva are only just about hanging in there on your one. Yeah, I know. So that's good. And then I guess the last question, Jake, is Force Field by Tokyo Police Club a sound purchase? Yes. Yes, it is. That, that, yeah. That's it. It just is. It's good album. Graham said, everyone, that he has some leftover copies of the recent repressing they did. I'm, I'm your man to tell you they sound awesome. They sound so good. And it's always an added bonus that Graham himself is actually packing them and sending them out. And he promised that he might slip in a note here and there to you if you go and purchase them. Wasn't he saying he's got to up his game a bit, hasn't he? He said he had to up his game because one of the other guys is packing for America and he's been putting in like sharpied notes to everyone, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I I really like this album. I'm not sure if it, it... verged on creepy when we talked to graham yesterday how much i was praising this album but this album means a heck of a lot to me and it just sounds so good i definitely you missed this jake i definitely compared it to like dark side of the moon (laughs) Um, but just just in terms of the sonics just in terms of the production and the sound the sound is really crisp oh yeah really really good really phenomenal sounding album yeah you can tell it took them you know best part of four years to make the thing (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and it was it was really really wicked of graham to join us he said he said he had a great time he was really pleased that we were talking about this album he said that there wasn't a huge amount of press when this album was released or a huge amount of good press shall we say so it's actually quite cool to for him to be able to revisit the album and him to be able to talk about it in hindsight but also for him as the creator to hear two guys on a different continent almost halfway around the world just saying it's awesome he was he was pretty cool okay i am stefan and this was a sound purchase a podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings this episode was lovingly labored over by producer paul lochran You can show your appreciation for the episode by liking, sharing, commenting and subscribing. Each engagement makes this effort all the more worthwhile and the best way to grow this podcast is by word of mouth. Your support is hugely appreciated. Of course, you can check the show notes and up-to-date top tens list and other musings at asoundpurchase.com. Engage with us on social media under the handle sound purchase pod you can further support us by purchasing a sound purchase t-shirt mug stickers or even a tapestry by going to a and clicking on the merch store 
Other episodes of A Sound Purchase are available at all of your favourite podcast platforms. And if you've enjoyed the sounds during today's episode, visit your local record store to pick up a copy of Tokyo Police Club's Force Field from 2014. Or perhaps if you'd rather, you can go straight to their website, tokyopoliceclub.com, and purchase one of the repressed purple splatter vinyls. I assure you, the sound is amazing. You've heard me say that so much through this episode. They're also just released a repress of TPC, which was their album that came after Force Field. Support local businesses, support local bands.